0: Good morning, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I am your co-host, Dave Kale, and we have a fun episode today. We're going to be talking a lot about enemy storylines, which is always great. Um, since we're, we're we're we've got high drama going on between uh, Myron, also known as Sauron, and the Baurogs, and all kinds of interesting stuff. So let's get started. I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-hosts Trish Lambert, the Tolkien Maven, and Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor. How are you two?
1: Excellent. Good, day. Very
2: good. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks for asking.
1: Glad to be back again <laughs> here today. And, of course, we may also get around to talking about elves. That might happen yeah, you know, as well. Um, like, for instance, we could eventually, um, you know, spin off into a discussion of episode five. But we'll see. You know, uh, uh, I, we're not going to get too carried away. Uh, yeah, I don't overpromise. Right.
0: Maybe we'll make a long detour into Bobway.
1: Yeah, exactly. Always uh, an ever-present peril, uh, as Tolkien would say. Okay, uh, so uh, two quick announcements uh, before we begin. One a reminder and one a forewarning. The reminder, of course, is for Midmoot, which is fast approaching. We are now two weeks away uh, from the uh, the Mythgard mid-Atlantic... Uh, they they gave it such a long name. I always forget it. The Mythgard Mid Atlantic Imaginative uh, Literature Symposium or something like that. Anyway, um, it's Midmoot and it's awesome, and uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I encourage you to uh, to look into it if you haven't. There's still two weeks, still plenty of time to sign up, but uh, but uh, but not as much time as there used to be. So I definitely encourage you to do that. It's going to be at the University of Maryland campus on the weekend right after uh, Bilbo's birthday. So 24th and 25th of September. Uh, So if you're anywhere in the area and you can come and join us, uh, the registration fee is very cheap. It's 30 bucks for the weekend. It's a two-day conference, Saturday and Sunday, Saturday and the first half of Sunday. Um, And then we have the banquet in the middle uh, to cover the cost of the banquet. There's a separate charge for the banquet. We're just sort of charging that at cost. Um, But... um, Uh, But that'll be really good. It'll be it'll be a definite upgrade from, you know, squeezing ourselves into booths uh, at a restaurant, which is what we did last last year. So uh, anyway, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun. (laughs) Carita says she's she's very excited. It's like it's like nerd Christmas. Uh, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Midmood is uh, uh, is 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 always a lot of fun. It was really wonderful last year, and I'm looking forward to the the even bigger and better mood that we're going to get this year. So uh, we look forward to getting together down there in the Mid Atlantic region again. Um, and I hope that that uh, that some of you can join us. If you want details and how to register, you can go either to the Mythgard.org website on onto the the events tab you'll see the the link to it or if you scroll down to the very bottom of the signumuniversity.org homepage you'll see it listed among the events there and you can register from there as well so i hope uh, hope that people be able to come out and join us the forewarning that i uh, wanted to give was uh, the to kind of tell you about the uh, large pot of wonderful things that is brewing for the next month and a half two months um coming up at signum university because of course It is autumn, and uh, the summer heat is finally fading away. The leaves beginning to change color, at least they are up here anyway. And uh, uh, where I am in New Hampshire, I have some distinctly yellow leaves in my backyard right now. And uh, this means it is almost time for the annual Signum University fall fundraiser, which means lots and lots of really, really cool and fun events. Uh, not to mention, of course, the opportunity to support Signum University, which provides you all of this wonderful free content. So, um, the just so just to kind of give you a little bit of a glimpse of what's going to be happening. The, the The campaign runs from Bilbo's birthday on the twenty second of September all the way through. Uh, through Halloween. Well, through at least through the thirtieth of October, which is the day before Halloween. So, uh, All Hallows' Eve, Eve, um, is going to be the day of our final, uh, our closing Webathon, which is now traditional. Will be our fourth annual uh, Webathon, where we will do the broadcast for. uh, for most of the day, Robert Brown is accusing me of northern hemisphere bias. Totally true, Robert. I understand. So let me say, Robert, uh, so as the crocuses are beginning to spring up and the flowers begin to bud down in down in Australia, it is almost time for the signum uh, fundraiser. Is, is, is that better, Rob? Does that work? Anyway, so good, good adjustment. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I do have to remember to be bihemispherical. Um, so Anyway, so so we're going to be doing lots of awesome things. Uh, I, I we have a, a special sim film, film session uh, that we are brewing uh, that I'm thinking right now of making part of our final webathon on the 30th of October, um, where we're going to be doing some special disc. Uh, I, I, I'm going to get some of the some of the people involved in this might be surprised to hear about this just now for the first time, um, but I would like to get together uh, with our outlining team um, and have uh, have a special session uh, where we work together on some stuff uh during the webathon i think that would be really really fun
0: where 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 we actually help out
1: yeah i thought we'd pitch in you know rather than just sit around and 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 uh and critique thought thought it might be fun to get together and do some of that so uh so that's what one of the things that i'm thinking about maybe some other uh perhaps another special film film related event or two we'll see how that uh how that how that how that goes um but, uh, Corita thinks that they need a more exciting name than outlining team. Uh, yeah, Karita, I agree. That really doesn't do it, does it? There's really, it hardly does justice to the, uh, uh, to the awesomeness and intrepidity of, uh, that particular group of people. So, um, absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, uh, so this should be, um. Uh, this should be this should be this should be really fun. So look, look, uh, you know, in future in, in as the next uh, week we week can have go by. Um, we'll, I'll be doing more announcements and messages and things to make sure everybody knows about uh, all the uh, the the stuff that's going to be going on during the campaign. It's going to be a lot of fun. So. Um, all right. Very good. Uh, so uh, with that, let's. Get started, so the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to go back uh, several of you on the discussion boards were wanting to sort of revisit uh, a little bit the discussion on the uh, million uh, and the thing- thingle and million meeting um, which and i I, want, I wanted to address a couple of the comments that people were making there the uh, two two main comments I wanted to address one is that a couple of uh, a couple of listeners were expressing sort of dissatisfaction with, uh, the way that we were talking about the girdle last time, uh, in particular with the whole like fear thing. Uh, and I want to so- sort of think a little bit more about that and clarify that maybe a little bit. Um, so, okay. I think it was Hakan who suggested, you know, maybe instead of depicting it as fear it should be confusion certainly confusion should be an element I certainly think Uh, on the one hand they um, I mean the the word that's that's used a lot during the uh, during the published Silmarillion um, uh, you know to to describe the you know the borders of Doriath is mazes Um, not necessarily physical mazes but that kind of confusion or bewilderment where they just like can't make their way through Um, and I think that that's that's perfectly fine um uh to 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 depict that kind of confusion but i would want to be uh i would want to be a little careful about how we depict that that is i don't when i talk about fear there should definitely be especially for the servants of Melkor, <clears throat> there should be a, a, a terror there should be a a horror that really comes upon them as well it's not just um those of you who um who know uh, uh, Lewis Carroll's Alice Through the Looking Glass, um, which uh, was a, a, a favorite work of, of Tolkien's, um, may remember that when Alice is in Looking Glass World and she's trying to go towards places, most notably the hill that she can see right outside the front door of Looking Glass House when she arrives in Looking Glass World, uh, she's trying to go towards the hill, and every time she begins to approach the hill, she suddenly finds herself walking away from it and instead like suddenly going back into the door of the house when she thinks she's getting closer to the hill. Um, But she has no experience of that. It's just like she's walking and she thinks she's walking in one direction, but then soon discovers that she's walking in another direction. But apart from uh, irritation and frustration at this phenomenon uh, and how insistent and recurring it is, um, she experiences no other sort of emotional or psychological impact um, my point is I certainly would not want the, uh, the effect on the servants of Morgoth to be like that, or even, frankly, on other elves or, or, or on men, where they simply like, are wandering into the woods, and then before they know it, they're wandering out of the woods again. Like, gosh, I thought I was going in, and no matter how hard they try, they can't go in. I would not want it to be so neutral. As that, um, it seems to be. I mean, the, the the way it's described, especially in the earlier texts, suggests that Tolkien's vision for that was something significantly more mind-bending um, than that. Um, and thing is,
2: how do we yeah. how do we depict that though? I mean, That's Jackson a did do a really very good job of that in The Hobbit. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. having having some reaction fearful is probably the easiest one for the audience to pick up from the actors, you know, from the characters. It's probably, you know, going to be the easiest thing to do. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. And and frankly, I mean, it kind of seems to me that like them running away in fear is kind of the end result, no matter I mean, even if we make a it confusion, right. it's going to be I mean, right. that's where they're going to end up anyway is not just being like, huh, well, that was a kind of a frustrating experience, but I guess I'll give up now. Like, obviously that's not where we want them to be after kind of, you know, uh, people who are trying to get through the girdle. So, um, uh, yeah. Um, now, uh, Brian that, noise is not is... Me.
2: that noise is not me. I just want you to know okay. that, that, No, man.
0: that's, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm podcasting from my porch in Pasadena. Oh,
2: it's a wild yeah, that, bird? A flock, flock of there's, birds, don't you? Yeah. There's, there,
0: there's urban legends about like a flock of escaped parrots that fly around.
2: Oh, it's not an urban legend. Where my sister lived in North Hollywood, there was a flock that flew through. Absolutely. There you
0: go. I see. The, so. the, the, the legends are true.
1: <laughs> That's right. So, continuing the subtle parrot motif of uh, of uh, film <laughs> broadcasts. So, what. Uh, Poor poor
2: Buddha always gets sequestered during some film, so he's not making any
0: noise. (laughs) Right, right. he would probably accept some of the blame.
1: <laughs> so Brian Federini was saying that you know he was thinking about sort of comparing the the effect to Peter Jackson's Merkwood, uh, and uh, right, and 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 his dislike for Peter Jackson's Merkwood um, exactly, and how Brian said that he felt that Merkwood was sort of too, uh, too well. I agree with, with you, Brian. Too well wit and yes, too. It was too much. I mean, didn't didn't they basically give the active impression that there was some kind of like uh, psychedelic mold spores going on that they were causing did. It, yeah that's basically? yeah didn't they yeah which is i mean that's not really not really great um uh yeah. So, and this, Nick Nick Pozzo gives us the quote there that in the published summary, and the girdle is called an unseen wall of shadow and bewilderment. Um, yeah, shadow. It is. It is dark. It is. It is terrifying. But it is also just confusing. They do get turned around and 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 lost. I think that some of them should get lost and never come out again. Um, you know that one of the things uh, that is going to happen, I would think, to many of the uh, to many of the like the orcs who attempt to get in or or whatever, is just like they go in and they don't come out, and so the rest of the orcs are right. terrified, not knowing, you know, what happens to them. Um, but uh, anyway, so, um, so yeah, so I mean, I, 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 I do want to kind of defend the fear thing, but at the same time, I do um, agree with the distinction that people in the discussion board were wanting to make. That is, it's, it's, it shouldn't be the same thing. Like the, the sort of the, the Sauron fear that's up, you know, uh, in, in, you know, post-war Dorthonian and the, the, the Melian, you know, the girdle of Melian and the zone where they meet. It's not that this is the meeting of exactly like things, um, it not at all and there can be definitely more of an element of <clears throat> bewilderment and confusion more than simple terror um <clears throat> to the girdle of melian
0: mm-hmm. and
1: yet there should be there should be fear it should be a very different flavor of fear um and i would think that the um the that sense of I mean, this is something that we've been actually playing with from the beginning, and it's, it's, it's actually an interesting time to kind of come back to it to some extent, I think. That is, the Thingol and Melian moment is a very natural moment to return to it. And that is sort of the different qualities of fear that we were introducing back at Quivienin. That is, there is, the, there is the simple terror of the Dark Rider, right? Like, something is going to get me and drag me off, and I don't know what, and I'm afraid of that. And then there's the fear that they experience when they meet Orome, you know, when they're like, Oh my goodness, like this is a God. I am afraid. Um, you know, that difference between fear and the numinous awe that they experience. And of course, which some of them don't experience. Some of them experience simple fear when they see Orome. Um, the same kind of fear that they experience when they see the dark rider or don't see the dark rider. But anyway, um, so th- that, that, you know, that kind of, uh, that opportunity that we already have had back in episode 1 to um to sort of consider and depict these different kind of flavors or kinds of fear is something I think we can pick up on again I mean part of the part of the the thing that I think Different people and different races are likely to experience the girdle very differently. I mean, orcs, I think, would have a different experience from men who would have a different experience from, say, the sons of Feanor um, if they came to the the girdle of Melian, which they certainly should at some point, since they're neighbors uh, of Doriath later on. Um, So I think they should all experience it differently differently. I think that the experience, especially that men and even to some extent elves might have, is just like that. get that sense of awe like this place is forbidden. I should not come in here. Um, And that sort of daring to transgress. Um, And I mean, of course, they would be they would be unable to. It's not just like that. They wouldn't that they would chicken out and fear to do it. But Thingol's reaction, I think, even to the girdle itself, even before he sees her. Would be significant. Would be sort of a significant um, uh, um, sort of setup for what happens with Melian, and and here I'm thinking forward to Baron as well. When Baron comes through the girdle, you know he is he is guided by fate. It is you know the doom that is laid upon him uh, enables him to come through. But but what does that mean? Um, And why does he do it? Where you know think about where he's coming from and what he's come through, and how and how does that lead to him getting through the girdle i think that we can make that really you know psychologically consistent like the 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 the, the state like the state of both the emotional state and sort of the you know, sort of the the determination that Baron has, and even the sort of spiritual state that he is in, in a sense, um, after coming through what he has come through on his journey, puts him in a place where he is both willing and able uh, to dare the girdle and to make it through in ways that others uh, are not. You know, others who 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 are trying to get in for malicious purposes, like the orcs, or maybe just through curiosity or something, like other you know wandering elves and and humans. But Baron has a different a whole different attitude, hold a whole different approach, a whole different way of looking at the thing. Um, and Thingol, when he comes through to Melian, should uh, also, again, he's daring, he's trespassing like Baron was trespassing. Um, but there's a, there's, you know, there, there needs to be something to his attitude, something to the spirit in which he does that, that is different and suitable, different even from the the attitude of those who are searching for him. Um, and so therefore passing through is sort of not for them. Now, these things that I'm describing, um, these things that I'm describing are obviously really, really hard to do on screen. Um, so I leave it to our script writing people to, uh, uh come up with ways to, to, to actually manifest this stuff. But, uh, uh but anyway, this is kind of how I'm thinking about it anyway. Um, Sounds okay. Good. Uh, the other issue so one was the nature of the girdle. The other issue about the million and away thing was the love at first sight element uh, and specifically uh, being careful not to undermine the parallel to baron and Luthien. Um, and in particular, I believe, and this was this was this was kind of tricky because uh, correctly interpreting the comments people were making on the discussion board about this involved accurately remembering what we had said two weeks ago, which is hard. Um, and I wasn't sure that I was doing that perfectly success- successfully, but, um, in as much as I recall what we talked about last time, which is ever imperfect, um, I believe the thing that people were concerned about was the uh, thingle seeing Melian before in Valinor and thus seeing her again, um. When he uh, uh, when he comes to her in uh, in Elmoth, and therefore losing the love at first sight element and the uh, and the parallel uh, to Baron and Luthien, um, I would say uh, I'm not worried <laughs> about that. And here's why I'm not worried about that. Um, remember how the Baron and Luthian thing? I, I actually think that we can use this as a mechanism for strengthening um, both the love at first sight element and the Baron and Luthien parallel. Cause remember Baron and Luthien don't get together when they, when he first sees her, um, mm-hmm. it's like the, depending on the version, the second or the third time that he right. sees her. Um, and he chases after her and she runs away and he stalks her for like months. Um, you know, I think
0: that'll play well with a modern
1: audience. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Like I'm yeah, hanging yeah, out in the bushes, exactly like washing the girl <laughs> dancing in the moonlight. And then I like eventually leap out. and Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I don't bathe regularly. Uh, you know, and I've got a long shaggy beard and probably smell bad. And, And uh, and I leap out and, you know, roaring and and I chase the beautiful girl away. And then. uh, Yeah. No, I think it's great. I think I think we can we can uh, we're going to
2: have law and order middle earth.
1: (laughs) This has this has exemplary modern love story written all over it. But (laughs) anyway, anyway. okay okay I I. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. The point <laughs> that's is, right. that's, that's, that's three years down the road, people. But anyway, uh, but the point is, it's not, uh, all, He yes, he is transfixed the first time he sees her, um, but they don't, she does not turn and lay her hand in his the first time he sees her. Um, and so therefore, the idea of him falling in love at first sight, and yet having to wait Uh, And to go through a time of delay and uncertainty and stalking before he gets to that point is is actually makes the parallel closer to Baron. So
2: actually, an even further parallel could be that when he's in Valinor, he keeps trying to interact with her and she keeps eluding him.
1: Right. Right. I mean, I'm thinking. I mean, we'd have to, do, I mean, you know, we'd have to do it a little bit carefully, depending on how much screen time we wanted to give it during the Ambassador yeah, episode. Yeah. Um, but I think she does see him. I mean, the sequence that I think the sequence we were talking about before, she's there in Valinor when he's there. Then she decides afterwards that she's going to go set up, you know, a shop in Middle Earth. Um, you know, she's going to go all Tom Bombadil. Um yeah, you know, and, and, uh, and we were thinking, remember, yeah, wasn't I thinking about this as our possible opportunity for the Tom yep. Bombadil cameo in season two? Yep, yep, yep. Um, They'd be talking about this. Gotta have yeah. an, at least once a season. Well, I
2: mean, yeah, I could see it. I was thinking it would be him. You know, he would see her. So it would be like a barren moment in Valinor.
1: Yes. You know, exactly.
2: and then and then she eludes him. So he is. So we actually and I don't know that we would have it may not take much screen time to show this, you know, where he's like, he's totally smitten and she's trying to find her. She keeps eluding him. And then I get can see the Tom Bombadil million, you know, where he's like, you should come over. And you and she'd be like, well, there was this one guy
1: <laughs> right. you know,
2: who, going over there for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Right. Um, uh, yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah, I would, I would, say, I mean, it could be a very brief moment and I actually kind of like doing a, a sort of, because remember the, the Baron and Luthian thing is that, I mean, it's a traditional, it's a very traditional fairy story element. right? Um, uh, you know, like human, uh, usually human male wandering in woods, sees elf queen, um, you know, in the woods, falls in love with her. But if he goes to see her, if he goes to you know to 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 break in on her where she is, she vanishes. Right. Um. That's why the Baron and Luthien story is so amazing. Like that. That's what makes it. it it's it's the very tradi- It's the, it is the traditional nature of that story element, which makes the moment when Luthien turns and lays her hand in his so mind blowing. You know, so so amazing. Um. Is the way in which she is departing from. Uh. You know, almost all tradition in doing that. Um, so, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. So I think that, so, so having that kind of a thing that would be be quick and easy in the ambassador episode if we did that. You know, if we if we said just have a have a moment when he and Finway maybe are walking together in Lorien, and uh, um, and he sees Melian through the trees, and he. Go, he sort of excuses himself and he goes, you know, off on his own, uh, separating himself from his companion to go and seek her. But when he goes, she's just not there. She, she's she gone. And it could be even be unclear. Did she see him or did she not see him? You know, we could kind of leave that right. up, to, up, to, up to doubt. We don't have to spell that out. Um, so he's seen her. So basically when he finds her then again in Nan Elmoth, He's, um, this is a recapitulation, like it's a recapitulation of the, and Baron and Luthien when he sees her dancing again, um, for the, you know, for, for the second time. Um, and he comes in, he comes in upon her. So, um, so
2: listen, feel free to mute me. Okay. Because I'm just back into my little comic relief thing here. But I just have this, I just have this vision. So we have that scene in Valinor and he goes off and she's, guys, for the rest of the time he helps in Valinor, you've got the guy in the background. (laughs) <laughs> and you see him, like, running, trying to fight. I don't know why I'm fighting this so funny. Right. But it's like every scene you have, there's, there's, there's Elway in the background
1: right. looking, and looking running. Looking around, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what got into me today. Uh. Yeah, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> we just... We just you know keep keep cutting to Elway and having him poking around <laughs> in various unlikely places in yeah, you know,
2: the back, like there's a serious conversation going on, like between <laughs> like In-way and Manway, and here's Elway in the background looking
1: under bushes, lifting up things. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. I'm bad. I like it. Right, so he's searching. <laughs> exactly. He's searching. So 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 when he goes to so you know again his this element of. He wants to return to Valinor, he is committed to returning to Valinor. And of course, one of the things that's driving him is that he wants to he wants to find her again and so when he's on his own this is what drives him to get through the girdle that like that you know this this sense of the of the presence that sense of presence that sense of this is something this is something divine this is something unearthly um which is i think a sense that the girdle should give to everybody right and again it has different effects on different people it's 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 a it's a, it's a thing of absolute terror to the orcs um it would daf- it would doubtless cause superstitious horror i mean think of the way that the rohirrim talk about uh, uh, you know the golden wood and Goadriel. I would think that <clears throat> many of the humans who encounter the Girdle of Melian would be like times ten for for you know the Queen of of Doriath, um, <clears throat> having a very similar reaction. But anyway, um, uh, so so, but he encounters it and he I don't know you know what, does, he, does he does he does he recognize it? You know that sort of that sensation of 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 her. You know does he recognize sort of the. The, the the particular feeling of that? Does it remind him of that of the time that he saw her? Um, I don't know. But anyway, his own drive, his own desire to find her, his his you know and of course his fate to in fact be joined with her. The combination of his fate and his desire is what brings him through the girdle and he finds her and we can recapitulate that moment just as we will do a recapitulation with Baron and Luthien where he sees her dancing again in the moonlight. So we can do a recapitulate can look just like, you know, the, the, you know, Nan Elmoth can look just like that part of, uh, of Lorien where he saw her for the first time. Um, so I don't think that that undermines the love at first sight element. I don't think that that um, cuz it's not like they've established a previous relationship in Valinor. Um I think that that could all work. That could all work pretty well. Um but uh anyway, yeah. Oh yeah, Tony uh, is reminding me of course about the sound of nightingales. Yeah, absolutely. So and 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 that serving as a cue for Elway. So yeah, sure Tony, exactly. It's a great way to uh to sort of remind um, Elway and hopefully attentive viewers um, so that they can remember that to to sort of establish that atmosphere not to mention um, that of course we would also be playing um, we we would be playing the million theme uh, during that time so between the nightingales and the million theme we would have the the, um, the sound that would cue us certainly and uh, uh give the impression of elway's perceptions of that anyway okay so i i, I don't know if i've allayed anyone's fears uh but uh that's I, I i wanted to address those let's talk about the enemies some i want to talk about the enemy storylines um uh, not in um in mapping them all out uh in detail um, as i think we might do that at our special session uh on october 30th but um I want to think about sort of the concepts. Um, There's a lot of discussion about this on on the discussion board. You guys were great on the on the enemies uh, this time. Um, so I want to think first. Let's think about um, let's think about Sauron's posse. Right, we talked about this before, and uh, uh, people on the discussion board seem cool with the idea of having sort of establishing Sauron's team, right? He, Gothmog has his his group of thugs. Sauron, even before the orc project moves along, um, has his people, right? Um, we already introduced or discussed introducing Thorin Gwethil back in episode three, um, uh, spying on the elves, on the debate of the elves at Quivienin about whether they were coming back. Um, so we have Thorin Gwethel as his ally. Um, the other two obvious allies that we have for him are Dragluin, the werewolf, the father of werewolves, and Tevildo, prince of cats, of course. Um, and uh, people were—I—I—I—I uh, I, I was pleased. I was—I was glad to see people were taking the Tevildo, prince of cats, suggestion seriously. Uh, and I think it—I think—I think, I think really could work. Um, as long as, I mean, we you don't have to make Tavildo comical. Um, a, a, a very large talking cat doesn't have to be comical any more than a very large talking dog has to be comical. And since I assume we're all committed to Huan, I don't see why we can't do Tavildo. Um, we would want, of course, not to, to just include him for filler, though. He needs a, a role to play. Um, one of the first things that I would say is that if there's something that this posse of Saurons seem to have in common is uh, uh, that they seem to be especially when you sort of put them up against Gothmog and the Balrogs um, that basically Sauron and his people seem to be much more into uh, stealth and subtlety than Gothmog is um, and that seems actually to work really well Right. If Myron is all about, you know, wit and intelligence and stealth and subtlety and Gothmog is all brute force. um, That opposition seems like it would work really well and it would really fit Sauron, um, who is the, you know, the subtle craftsman and deceiver uh, all the way through the Lord of the Rings time. So um, that Mm -hmm. that that would seem to work really, really well. And his people seem to be um, very well positioned for that kind of campaign, right, for that, for that kind of approach you've got Thuringwethil the messenger, I mean even like the, the fact that she takes bat form and I agree with people who said obviously we can't have her in giant bat form all the time um, you know, we, we need to have her we need to have her shape shifting between human and bat form and that seems to me that seems to me perfectly fine um, she does need to have her very distinctive um, cloak right that luthien uh is going to wear later on as i uh quite prefer that to the idea of luthien actually like wearing her skin um but uh uh but yeah so she she has she has some kind of cloak that she wears and that she you know is, is sort of you know morphs into her wings when she becomes a bat because of course luthien herself is going to take bat form um when she uh puts on the um uh, the, 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 the the hame of Thuring Gwethil when she and Baron are in disguise. Um, yeah, Robert Brown, Just you know, Robert, I just realized when as soon as you said that, I realized that that was exactly what I was picturing. Uh, that is, I was picturing the Moravals from Lotro. That's totally the image that was in my head. And I didn't even realize that that was the image that was in my head, but you're completely right, Robert. That's what I was picturing. Um uh and uh, their model for this sort of like evil bat woman creature is uh is really not a bad one actually for what i was thinking of with uh with with um and uh karina i completely agree that this sounds like a great opportunity for our wardrobe people sketches would be lovely of uh, the the uh the this this cape or cloak of Thorin Gwethil uh, would certainly be a very, very important uh, uh, costume element uh, for for season two. So we've got Thorin Gwethil, and she is she's the spy master, right? That's she's the messenger and spymaster. Um, what about Dragluin and Tavildo? Are there like, what personalities or roles would we want to give to them? And their relationships with Sauron as well. I want to think about how Sauron and his relationship with his allies works exactly. Thuring Gwethel would be, I think, an ally from the beginning. Not a slave, but an ally. Because we would be introducing her so early, we couldn't really have a, like, creation-slash-corruption of thuring uh, Thuringwethil. We'd have to have her just sort of full-formed, right? So we would need to introduce her as, a, right. as an ally of his. Um, Brian Fatterini thinks that Drogluin is dumb-hired muscle. Um, <laughs> I could go with that.
0: Yeah, that sounds right.
1: Um, so if Drogluin is muscle... Because werewolves, werewolves are a big thing with Sauron. I mean, he's associated with werewolves almost from the beginning. I mean, it's only, it's almost the first thing about, about Sauron's character from in the origin of of, uh, of Tolkien's mind, of Tolkien's conception of, of the idea. Um, so, and he invented werewolves. Like he, so he doesn't just discover them; he he makes them. Um, and so the the. Theme of enslavement that that's people were talking about on the on the discussion boards with regards to the werewolves seems to me right um, that um, that he uh, the so Thúringwëthil is one who has allied herself with Sauron um, presumably because she sees him as more of a you know more of a more of a like spirit somebody that she can respect more than she can respect Gothmog. Um mm-hmm. and then drug is uh is is more of a slave um more of a slave slash creation of uh, um, uh of um of 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 saurons um and you know how much do we want to get into the process by which he makes werewolves I don't really know um it does seem to be about taking the spirits of of you know lesser Maya and you know chaining them to the spirits of beasts in order to make more intelligent and fearsome monsters, um. So not just mindless monsters, um, you know, like the the huge beasts that we had Orome and Tulkas hunting together back in season one, um, and which were sort of released in in force, uh, by Melkor at the end of you know in the in the war to begin all wars um but again that Sauron's not into mere muscle he wants them to be intelligent as well but enslaved mm-hmm. enslaved to him as well um so um yeah yeah and Marie, i agree we do have to do something to develop the idea of Sauron's necromantic powers and i think that that has to be involved in the in the in the orc project um I would
2: also see like to see him not gain mastery this season. I mean I would like to see him still be yeah you know, he's not going to really he's got still a lot more to learn from Morgoth yes. once they get back together again. So he's not going to be the you know by the end of the season he's not going to be have mastered all this stuff. Right. You know, I mean I think his his stuff needs to be lesser stuff at this point I've been
0: thinking. Yeah, you yeah. don't want him to be fully fully formed as a as a you know mastermind evil guy yet
1: yes yes um and right exactly i mean if this if if the focus as we were discussing last time is really sort of the continued moral progress of myron right his his continuing down the uh down the path that he has definitively embarked on by the end of season one um yeah i i I agree it would certainly be a mistake to establish him in season 2 as like now Melkor is gone I am the dark lord. Um right. he's not he's not there yet. He's not, he's not he's not ready yet. He's not even right. fully committed to being a dark lord yet. Really um and I think that that should be that should be important um and that mm-hmm. we should be showing that. Um
2: and by the way, somebody reminded us in the notes that um did, I believe we had Gothmog calling him Sauron as like a jeer kind of thing at the end of first season. Oh right?
1: yeah. 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 And,
2: and that therefore Gothmog should just continue calling him that, but it's meant to be like a insult or like a I don't know. You know, I don't know. But anyway, right. I, I forgot that.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah, we can we can uh um the way that that I really like that or what I really like about that idea is this idea that the name Sauron has been imposed upon him and he doesn't yet quite fit it or even resists it Um, and so the the, sort of the progress of the progress of season two, you know, brings him to basically embracing being Sauron, essentially. Um. Yeah, uh, Maria's suggesting that he actually, you know, loses the conflict with Gothmog. Um, And yeah, I think so. I mean, I think at the very least it should be indeterminate at the end. I mean, neither one of them should be in a clearly dominant position. And then Melkor comes back, right? So, I mean, it's like, in a sense, who wins between them is kind of immaterial at this point because... Melkor is going to be coming back, and then going to be running the show, and Gothmog will be dead before Melkor finishes running the show. So <clears throat> we don't need a really conclusive um, uh, end to the conflict between Sauron and and, and Gothmog. But um, uh, but. I do like the idea, like, basically, you know, when they come back, Melkor is going to still have Gothmog as his, you know, as his main enforcer, right? He's going to be the, the, you know, the, the the commander of his armies in the field. But Sauron is going to be, you know, his lieutenant and is going to have a very different relationship with Morgoth when he returns. Um, and I, I think we can show that, too, how he, you know, he, Melkor... Welcomes Gothmog, and Gothmog, of course, is going to rescue him from Ungoliant at the very end of season two. Um, and so therefore, Gothmog will remain sort of his favorite, and yet Melkor is 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 going to be, I think, you know, well, both pleased by what Sauron has been doing with the uh, with the orc project. Um, but I loved the suggestions. I was thinking exactly along the same lines that a lot of people were making about Morgoth coming in and, uh, basically taking over the orc development project and, and spinning it in a new direction, a direction which is, uh, you know, uh, very, very largely influenced by his much more active hatred and, uh, resentment against the elves that he basically takes out on the orcs, um, the, the... So, I mean, the orcs are not only his weapons, they're also um, the people on whom he takes out his anger, right? You know, he torments them like he would like to torment all the rest of the elves. Um, so they're also his victims as well, you know, uh, as, well as, his, uh, as well as his servants or his slaves. Um, so therefore his malice, like specific pointed malice towards the elves um, is, uh, is something that's going to come and redirect the orc project very significantly, uh, when Morgoth returns. Um, but, um, but in the meantime, he also really, you know, approves of Sauron's initiative, uh, and the relationship he has with Sauron, I think should be different, um, than it was before, you know, he should, he, I, I, I think he will be pleased. Um, Nick Palazzo is uh, reminding us that we need to have a vast army of orcs before Melkor returns. Yes, Nick, I haven't forgotten that. But I think they can be different. And I think also that the armies that are attacking the Cinderin don't have to be only orcs. Um but um Um so anyway, we can we can uh can worry about that a little bit later so okay (laughs) but back back to the back to the captains back to the captains of uh of see see i would say procrastination it's a way of life in the film project um that's right uh this is this is our best practice absolutely and in fact nick um I would say, best practices of a Silmarillion film project: procrastinate whenever possible. Um, Nick, the other thing I was thinking of, of course, is that the the the, the initial wars of Beleriand can also be um, I, the published Silmarillion doesn't say that Balrogs were involved in that, but why couldn't they be? Right? I mean, maybe the the very battles against the elves are, you know, part of the whole. Power struggle between Gothmog and and, and Sauron, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, so yeah, we can we can we can yeah yeah no and and Marie, you're right. We the the final battles against the Sindar really can wait. Um, they really can wait until Melkor is back. I, I think most of those we're, we're not going to do, cause we're not going to do, we're not going to have time to do that anyway until season three. Um, so I think we, I think we, we, we wait on that. We have plenty of time while the Noldor are, you know, doing kin slaying and journeying and ship burning and, you know, Helcaraxet crossing uh, to have, you know, plenty of action going on with the Sindar. So, yeah. 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 Um. Okay. Um, where were we? Captains, Thuringwethil, Draugluin, and Tavildo. Now, I think we can... So we can have sort of different origins here. And again, this is... Uh, uh, se- several people on the discussion board were, were were echoing what I had been thinking as well here. Draugluin as slave, right? Th- showing the sort of the manufacture of the werewolves by Sauron. Um, Thuringwethil as the ally... Um, with whom Sauron has sort of mutual respect, Droglúin as the thuggish slave, um, the tormented thuggish slave. Um, I, I Somebody, I forget who it was, uh, was suggesting a, a while back that we should actually um, feel pity for Droglúin by the end, and I, I like that, and I'm thinking, of course, of uh, of Lúthien's words, especially to Carcharoth, you know, when she calls him a woe-begotten spirit, right? Um uh, that kind of pity for um, for Draugluin and the you know the slaves of uh, of, uh-huh. of Sauron, I think, is definitely something we want to we want to instill. Um, now, Tavildo, of course, in his origins, as still in this manifestation, can be as essentially the counterpart to Huon just as huon is one of the spirits of orame who has chosen just as the Valar and maiar can all choose to manifest themselves in a particular form huon has chosen to he is one of the the companion spirits of orame and so you know the, many of the companion spirits of orame manifest themselves physically as hounds that hunt with him it's a very natural you know uh, uh, concept basically and Tivildo basically can be can be similar um and he you know joins himself to Sauron not as devotedly as Huon and his and the and Huon's packmates of course cuz he's a cat not a dog so he's not going to be loyal and faithful uh, uh he's going to be a cat um so he's going to be serving <laughs> on his own terms
2: I can't even say the word without, like, that (laughs) cat. (laughs) (laughs) I don't hate cats.
1: Uh, Which is not
2: a big. You don't like what they do to your family. That's
1: no, your exactly. Story. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, um, it's sad because I think in high school I was well on the way to becoming a cat person. I quite liked cats. Um, but uh, but yes, my. I Joseph, would think
2: that there's probably aspects of their personality that, that would appeal to you. But yes, yes, I, I yes there it are. it out when you have family members that get violently ill. So that's uh, well
1: you know. dead, really. But um, yes, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, so. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, <laughs>
2: yeah. not to put too fine a point well,
1: exactly, on it, no, it ever since that one night when my wife almost went into anaphylaxis uh, has really changed my uh, my yeah, attitude really towards cats yeah yeah, it really has um, but anyway um, uh, yeah, to, as Tony says a dog is a pet a cat is an animal that lives in your house I know that cats can be affectionate and whatever but they but they they prefer to receive affection um, anyway anyway okay um, so um uh, uh, point is, point is, um, uh, Tevildo is what, like, uh, you know, I mean, he is, he is, he, I would say, you know, Tevildo is sort of an ally that comes and goes, but can't really be relied upon. Um, what would his role be? If Thuring Gwethil is spy and messenger and Drauglun is heavy, what, what could Tevildo's role be? Hmm. Confidant? Confidant. Remember I know. We, we, Torturer. We Torturer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tormentor of his, of his slaves. Out loud too. Yeah. yeah. But
0: it, it is true. Didn't we have this dilemma last and, time we were saying... When, uh, who is Sauron going to talk to when he's wandering exactly. around? Uh, yeah. Right. But I guess that could be all of these characters, but I, yeah. yeah, I like the idea of Tavildo as torturer.
1: Torturer. And, and assassin, Robert, I agree with Robert. That's, that that would also be good.
0: This, um, Actually, torturer seems like cat appropriate. Isn't
1: it? I mean, again, I don't want to be biased, but yeah, the whole like tormenting their victims thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and again, and here uh, that was suggested to me uh, by the role of Tavildo in the Book of Lost Tales. Like he's he's you know, he 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 has slaves and prisoners like Melkor sends him folks that he, you know, wants to to to, to torture. So. Um, um, so, yes, exactly. Sadistically playing with 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 victims, Murray, that's that that's exactly it. But I also like Robert's idea of 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 assassin as well. Um, but he's also, Tevildo is unpredictable, right? He, and, and not entirely reliable either, you know, uh, in part because, you know, instead of just, uh, instead of just going out and, and being like the perfectly efficient executioner at all times, he will, you know, seek to torment his victims and therefore possibly let them escape. Um, yeah. So anyway, so no, there's, that's, there's, uh, that's, that's. We, we that means we need to give him somebody to assassinate at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we'll have to think about that. What about Bobway? Anyway, never mind. Um, we will. We'll, you know, we'll come up at some point later on. <laughs> I hope that's not what happened to Bobway—that he's been captured and tormented by Tavildo. By be Tevildo? Yeah. Oh golly! Yeah. Um, yeah, see, I don't think that Tevildo would be able, I mean, I don't think that, like, Tevildo isn't somebody they could really use, Sauron could really use as, like, an anti-Balrog operative, exactly, because I don't think that, I think, I think that Balrogs would be above his pay grade. I don't think he could, I don't think he could do much to them.
0: I have a feeling he would have a pretty prominent role, um, uh, you know, like, during the, the, like the, so, you know, the whole, the whole game that, uh, Sauron plays with, um, Baron and yes. Finrod and those yes. guys, that seems like a Tavildo machina- machination. Oh, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, Tavildo should definitely be the one who is essentially in charge of the, of the prisons where the, where the, the, the prisoners of Sauron are kept there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah charged with uh, with getting the information out of uh, out of Baron and Vinrod. Um, Brian is thinking that uh, uh, maybe he, Tevildo, hangs around with Myron because the Balrogs don't care for him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually kind of like that, you know, that he, he sort of, he disdains the Balrogs because they disdain him. Yeah. Um, Robert asks how he dies. I I think we have Huan kill him. I mean that's how he that's I mean he's that's what happens to him in the Book of Lost Tales. Um, You know he's he's uh, you know he loses to Huan. Um, uh, Yeah, Brian points out that all the hired help, which are not Balrogs, are looked down on by the Balrogs. Yeah, we think the Balrogs look down on everybody. Like like basically they serve Morgoth because he's the only one they don't look down on. yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, Nick, the Balrogs aren't dog people. They, they aren't, they, they don't, they're not, they're, 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 they're just misanthropes. Um, you know, or, they're, but they, again, they're arrogant misanthropes. They look down on everybody. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we well, we we'll have to think about Tavildo's end, but we have plenty of time to think about that. Um, so, at some point, we can have Tavildo show up, you know, to start helping Sauron. But you know, he's sort of a more fickle and and uh, and unreliable ally than Thuringwetho is. Uh, so that's so that's fine. Um,
0: I like this. I, I'm I'm glad we found like a like a a reasonable um um like I'm glad we found a way to incorporate him into the story that he doesn't feel crowbarred in.
1: Yes. yes. Yes, exactly. exactly. I would think that the main confidant of Sauron should be Thuringwethil. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. That makes sense. She's the one he talks to. She's the one he schemes with. Um and she can be his primary sort of ally and uh and emissary basically you know when the like she can be the oh yeah she's the one who uh, uh, she can be the one who's behind the whole Gorlim thing with uh, you know with uh, Baron and Barra here at the beginning of season five um, so she she's the one who finds Gorlim and, and notices where he goes and um, and even arrange you know arranges with Sauron for the- oh yeah 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 so we can have her involved in that um, uh, she can we can give her some other stuff to do in season three and four. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> she has to, um, yeah, Nick, Nick Pozzo says she, she's the one who takes the shape of his wife. Nick, that's just what I was thinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, the only sad thing is we have to kill Thor and Gwethel off so rel- so comparatively soon. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, she has to die in season five, but, uh, uh, that's okay. We can get as much mileage out of Thorin Gwethel. I would love to. I mean, i've I've always thought Thorin Gwethel has always been like one of my, you know, top ten Silmarillion characters that I wish we knew more about. Like, you know, that's I've always loved Thorin Gwethel and the concept of Thorin Gwethel. Um, so, uh, so I would love to. I would would love to do that. So, okay, cool. All right, excellent. Um, um, yeah. Maria's saying people are gonna wonder, uh, if uh, if Sauron. And and Gwethel or sleeping together, yet Maria, I'm not sure how to play that. Like, how much, if any, sort of, like, how much of a of a of a sort of a sexual dimension to give to their relationship? Is there any like, you know, sort of like dark flirtation or anything that goes on there? Or, or sh- I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether to whether to to, to that would be a good idea or not. Um, that could
2: be our tip of the hat to Game of Thrones, huh? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of things that we can we can do with that, and I'm not thinking, yeah, Nick, I'm not thinking of showing anything like we have to develop like a you know a, a wild runaway romance between Sauron and Thuringwetho exactly but um but I'm just thinking like you know how much of a how much of a sexual charge do we give uh, to you know their relationship and to her character um, in, uh in in particular? Um immediately, I don't see that as a big part of who she is and what she does, really, not to mention the fact that you know she's also apart from ungoliant the um um the only female villain we've got at least for quite some time, right um and I think it would be kind of nice to have a female villain who's not oversexed that would seem like a good thing yeah. right um, i we talked about having ungoliant be definitely sexu- sexually charged and that seems to me to fit with the whole the whole con- i mean what ungoliant is is like unbridled hunger and desire that's that's who and what ungoliant is and what she does um, so to sort of use sexual desire as a way to kind of map that seems to me to make sense. Um, Uh But, uh, but the resisting that with Thorin Gwethil, I think would actually be um, better. I think Um, what does Thorin Gwethil want? What's she in this for? I mean, obviously it's not just like devotion to Sauron. She would see, I would think she would see Sauron more like a peer than as a, you know, a master. Um, I mean, obviously one thing that all of the, uh, that all of Team Myron can have in common is that they all loathe Gothmog and the Balrogs. Um, but there needs to be more than that. What's her, what's her end game? What does she want? Ah, Brian Fatterini thinks she she wants to she wants knowledge she wants to know every secret. Interesting.
0: Well, that's certainly better than just having her be smitten with Sauron.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. It's like the,
0: that's like the that's sort of the lazy uh, the lazy thing to do with a female character. So mm-hmm. yeah, I like mm-hmm. it. That seems cool. That's sort of a it's kind of a parallel to um, to to Ungoliant you know sort of she wants to consume all sort of light or matter or whatever um having Zerngweth will want to know all know all secrets and then she she's a little bit of a precursor to Gollum in some sense right, right?
1: yes good yeah, exactly good yeah yeah tony was just suggesting that too absolutely absolutely um yeah no and and that that you know that, so then her spying like she's not just being like uh you know um sent off on Sauron on these spying missions It's what she does, right? She wants to, she wants to find things out. Um, her role just becomes, she just, she chooses to share what she finds out with Sauron because she believes that he can help her find out more stuff. So, cause she would admire his cunning basically. Um, yeah, Nick, exactly. She is not his sycophant. She is, um, she respects him and he respects her. Um, he is subtle and he is attractive. Remember, he's Mr. Bingley, right? I mean, he should be, Sauron, I think, should be a very, very physically attractive character throughout, um, all the way up through the fall of Numenor. I mean, Sauron as dark lord of Mordor should be a shock uh, to right. viewers who have long been used to seeing uh, Sauron as being very, very attractive um but again it's not a sexual attraction of course that draws her to sauron um he is he is so he he is into subtlety and uh and 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 deceit um you know and sort of the manipulation of people um but she uh and and so she she sees in respects she sees him as like a kind of a compliment right um you know uh, she, he can be the front man you know while she is Sneaking around the back, you know, while she's spying around. So, I mean, I think the two uh-huh. of them would just sort of see each other as natural, as natural allies there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. All right. Well, this is a good team that we have. No, the only thing we don't have yet are spirits and the orcs. Um, so, okay. So, I think the first thing, our first priority has to has to be to establish his posse that that has to happen first, you know, so we, we, we get to Linguethel and Droglu and, and And therefore I think that his, so in parallel, we see Sauron engaging in two things other than the issue with the Balrogs. Uh, we see him engaging first in um, the making of the werewolves, Right, and this can be yeah. his initial response to being bullied by the Balrogs. Right, he realizes he needs a heavy, so he takes the. But like the monsters that Morgoth made, or excuse me, not Morgoth yet, the the monsters that Melkor made are are ungovernable by him. Right, I mean he can get them to do things, but they they are not the kind of servants that he wants. So he sets out to to upgrade, and he makes the werewolves, and that's where we get the. So we get the, the making of Gluin. at the same time he is working with the captured elves because he has captured the elves, right? Sauron is the Dark Rider. Do we agree with this? Is that... Yep. Is that that's where we're going there? So Sauron is the one who's taken. Yeah. Um, Gothmog would never do that. Gothmog would just crush them, right? I mean, he would... It, it would occur to Gothmog to attack Quivianen and try to stamp out the elves, but he wouldn't capture them and bring them back prisoners and try to do anything to them, right? Um. So, but 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 Myron has done this, and his goal, as we've said before, his initial goal is to convert them to the service of of Melkor, right? Um, so first, he's not uh, he's not bringing them back as slaves or even as prisoners. Um, he's like forcibly expatriating them <laughs> right <laughs> to Angband. Um, and, uh, uh, anyway, yeah, so he's, he's, um, he's, he's bringing the elves in. He's trying to convert them, uh, to serve Melkor. Over the course of the season, the main thing that's going to be happening, we don't have to have full-fledged orcs, indeed. We're not going to have the orcs of the future, certainly, until Morgoth returns. Um, but the shift that needs to happen with Sauron is that shift from converting the elves to coercing. The elves and then and like doing things to them. Um, so exactly, Brian. That's just what I was thinking. Uh, as Brian says, Drugluin is 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 a result of early investigations into how the elves are put together. Um, and yes, and Brian then the other way around as well. That what he does with the with the the werewolves also becomes a kind of um, trial run uh, to um, to what he does with the orcs. And I want to give. Um, um, I want to give some props to, uh, uh what was it? Um, I'm forgetting the name. Ren was I think the name one of the, one of our new yeah. participants. Um, who was to, was it? Ren who was talking about the parallel with the ring Ringwraiths? Yes, and yes. I liked that a lot. Yeah, that was really really smart. Um, basically showing the 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 anticipation of what's going to be happening with with the Ringwraiths, seeing the orcs the initial Sauron's initial conception of the orcs as being a kind of dry run. You know, him... So him, do we understand how that happens. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that basically what he was trying to do to the orcs, and he can be kind of failing. I mean, the, 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 the super secret necromantic orc project um, not only can be incomplete, it can be inconclusive um, when when Morgoth returns. And then Morgoth is like, no, no, no. This needs a little more oomph. Uh, uh, you know, you're you're not adding enough hatred, right? Um, uh, but anyway, so he's 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 he's. But so, but so essentially, his goal with the elves, you know, with Celebrimbor and the other elves, and, the, and 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 with the rings of power, was that he was going to create in the elves what he you know the the final perfection of what he was attempting to do with the orcs um, way back at the beginning. What he wanted was essentially a child of a Luvatar version of a werewolf, right? Where their spirits uh-huh. would be enslaved right. to him. Um, but of course, he, what he had to do with the werewolves, he had to take sort of two different disparate elements, right? A beastly uh, body uh, and uh, a, and, uh, 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 you know, a, a, a Maiar spirit and force them together with the orcs what he could be trying to do eventually what he will come to be trying to do is to take they already have the body and spirit right but he wants to take that spirit and to bind it to himself to enslave it to himself in the same way that the uh that the werewolf spirits the the lesser maya that he first enslaves and then puts into the into the werewolves are his relationship with the spirits with those spirits that's the necromancer element right um and especially i would think that the when he shifts to this when he when he ceases to be i'm going to try to convince you that morgoth is awesome and that you should follow us and join with us he's so he, he's first a recruiting officer um with dubious practices very willing to use fear and intimidation uh as recruitment techniques um he starts as as a, a recruitment officer and then becomes you know an experimenter uh and, uh you know and sort of you know evil spiritual alchemist right with the with with the with the elves um and so he will be killing them but he'll be he'll be uh, like basically experimenting on their spirits trying to understand how are their spirits and bodies joined together right and how can he enslave their bodies with or without their spirits because remember of course the ring are enslaved spirits that have long since left their bodies behind, right? That's one model that he could, where, where, he, could, where he could go eventually, right? Um, but that's... So
2: this is where we see him gaining that knowledge, right? This is where we yes, see him.
1: Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and this is where he gets his reputation as the necromancer, like right? that, that's, that's right. his relationship with spirits um, and, and, and particularly with dead spirits. Um, and since elvish spirits don't leave Arda when their bodies are killed, the experiment that he is trying to make there at first is, OK, if I kill them, can I ensnare their spirit and keep it from going to Mandos? Can I keep it under my own control? Right. Um, that's what he would be working on. Um, and okay, so that's like the necromantic element, essentially. Um, of the Orc project ultimately again I think his uh his his experiments are going to be inconclusive uh, until Morgoth comes back and really finishes the orc project um, but uh but yeah initially uh, and I think that we can make um we can work his initial relationship with the elves into his initial relationship with his other captains right um, he can see the elves and just as the Valar see the Elves and love them, because they are other from themselves, and in them they can see reflected parts of the minds of Iluvatar that they themselves have not seen before, um, so, um, with the, so with Sauron, right? He has a version of that same thing. He sees them and acknowledges their separateness, and this. But the same thing that uh, that fills the Valar with love when they see the Elves fills him with envy to some extent but i would say ambition right i can use this these could be my allies this could work out really really well if only i could get them in line if only i could get them you know under me basically um anyway okay all right um well while we still have half an hour we should get to actually episode 5 so in episode 5 <coughs>
0: <laughs> Making great time as usual.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, that's good. I have no regrets. That I, I, I really wanted to, to work through. We've been kicking around, you know, these kinds of ideas for a while. But I, I really, I, I, I feel much clearer on the whole concept. And this is something that's going to be, you know, really driving us not only through the rest of season two, but into season three and four as well. So um, uh, anyway, we'll... Um, uh, we, we can we can we can continue this discussion later on, perhaps uh, in our special fundraising episode. But so let's get back to episode five. So in episode five, um, we've just had Thingo and Melian. So Elway has gone away. Um, we have uh, so we have we have that sundering. We have Olway and Cirdan deciding to go on, um, and the uh, the followers of of Elwë, the Doriath crew. Including Celeborn, decide to stay and look for uh, for Elway as we discussed last time. The big thing for the for the elves in this episode in episode five is first the arrival in Valinor by the Noldor and the Vanyar, and also the um, uh, the choice of Círdan. The, the final division of the Teleri needs to happen, so Olway needs to set out. Since we have the arrival of the Vanyar and the Noldor, we, we, we had originally thought about that maybe for last episode, but last in our, in our last session, we decided to, to turf that forward to, to this episode. Since we have the arrival of the, of the Vanyar and the Noldor and Valinor and the departure of Olway uh, in this episode, I think that those two things have to frame the, they really need to frame the episode, right? We need to start with the arrival of the Vanyar and the Noldor and then to end the episode with the departure of Olwe, Right? I mean that would seem to be the um that would really seem to be an unnecessary way to to, to kind of contextualize it so it doesn't so we can get some sense of the appropriate passage of time uh among those seem aspects.
0: that's that seems that would seem to make sense.
1: So, if we start with the Nolar and the Vanyar arriving in Valinor, what do we do there? I mean, what happens? What do we want to emphasize? Do we want to emphasize the welcome that the Valar give to them? Do we want to, I mean, does anything happen? Other than like you know, all the Valar and the Maiar turning out in their Sunday best to like wave little banners and throw confetti when the Elves arrive on the shores. Um, well,
0: what's what's
2: going to happen? Probably to they make should the be at a
0: party. Do?
1: Yeah.
2: What's going to happen to make the Elves go back and say, "Yeah, yeah, we really should go there"?
1: Um. Wait, which ones?
2: Better food? The Ambassadors, right? Oh, the Ambassadors,
1: so right, yeah, no, no, well, the the Vanyar, right, right, <laughs> <page? laughs> right, the Vanyar and the, the Vanyar and the, and the Noldor, Noldor. Right. Um, the Noldor have been convinced by Finway and Finway's appeal was very, was, you know, as we were talking before, oh, okay. Okay. was very yeah, Noldor and right. based, right, right, very page. like yes, the yes. desire for knowledge and everything right. and what they can, get, you know, what they can gain over in Valinor, um, so, the van, yeah, so, for the more pure relationship with the Valar, right, the more pure right. awe and love of the so Valar gonna themselves. So we're going to
2: start, we're going to see that happening then, we're going to see that So situation.
1: should we, yeah.
0: yeah, should we launch into a montage of, like, scenes of, <laughs> um, of, of them doing the things, you know, that were the primary driver for them coming, so like, we show an initial welcome and then we show the, the Noldor sitting around with uh, Owl A. Uh... Whittling, whittling. Oh, I was thinking
1: whittling. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Whittling. Yeah. <laughs> Taking lessons, right? You know, like we have them sitting at little desks, right? With Owl a standing in the front of the little room with a big smile on yeah. his face. Yeah. yeah. With a long pointer yeah, pointing to things. Yeah, exactly. Right. We have. Oh, uh, I. No, I was. Never mind. You I know, we, good. We, we, show, we, show, we show Inway. You know, sitting in like a, a contemplative game of, of 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 checkers with Manway. You know, okay. Likely... Here I go
2: again, guys. You ready? You ready <laughs> for this? So when so when Myron has meetings with the flip chart, he needs a little laser pointer <laughs>
1: that
2: makes that makes Tavildo go nuts.
1: <laughs> makes <Tavildo> go nuts. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I think that I think that Aule should use a retractable stick to point, and then Fanor should invent the laser pointer later on (laughs) like as like as his elementary school project you know that's
2: right that's right that they'll show how how um how brilliant he is
1: exactly exactly that's like his science fair project in seventh grade yeah yeah is the laser pointer um so so yeah
0: i i don't know yeah that's the question i guess the question is do you have a um an actual like extended arrival scene or do we just briefly show them arriving and then launch into, like, you know, go right into sort of a time passing quickly, showing them settling in and doing stuff? I'm, I'm kind of leaning toward the latter.
1: Yeah. I mean, the settling in and doing stuff doesn't even have to happen in a montage. We just come back. I mean, like, yes, they're going to build Tyrion. We don't have to show them doing it, though. Like, mm-hmm. all we have to do, like, when alway sets out for Valinor, um, you know, uh-huh. they we can see we can show the like the island disappearing in the distance, right, as Olway and the Teleri and the the, the last of the you know, the remnant of the Teleri finally set off across the sea. And then we end, you know, with uh, a shot back at Valinor, right, with Tyrion built um, so we can see them having settled in. But we have to show something. I guess what we could do in theory is not really show them arriving exactly like not show them actually disembarking and shaking hands with the Valar or whatever they do right. We could just show like we could open the the uh, this segment with um, you know like with the sea right and the 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 holy mountain appearing over the sea right as they come closer and so like you know just. Valinor approaching, you know, and that glimpse of Valinor right. across the ocean and getting closer and closer, and then you know we can we can show we can have c- camera angles which will show the Noldor and the Vanyar, so we know who, who's there, right, and who's doing it, so we can kind of establish in that way um, that uh, that it's the that the Vanyar and the Noldor have arrived, um, but the the primary emphasis if we did it that way, if we showed so little. would just be, you know, sort of this very sort of suggestive concept of Valinor as the, you know, the shining, desirable land of promise, and then later on we show the, you know, the beautiful city there and the elves sort of settled in. (laughs) Marie suggests that Fanor probably invents Wi-Fi and glitter, too. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, both of those, I would think. Um, Anyway, so, uh, Uh, Um, yeah, I think maybe a minimalist thing would probably be better here. We'll have plenty of opportunity to show the Vanyar and the Noldor interacting with the Valar when we get into the real Valinorian segment, which is going to start really not in episode um, six, but in episode seven, um, well, six and seven, it'll be starting a little bit, I guess, in the next episode. But, um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think we can kind of we can kind of save it. So, if if actually we frame the entire first stage segment of episode five with glimpses of Valinor, right? First, the gr- the glimpse mm-hmm. of the Holy Mountain as they arrive, and then second, a distant sort of helicopter shot of Tyrion upon Tuna, right, with the Vanyar and Noldor living there um, mm-hmm. at the end. And then show really nothing nothing else. Yeah, Robert Brown suggests that at the beginning we make it look, we try to evoke the idea of a far green country under a swift sunrise. That's kind of more or less what I was thinking, Robert. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Robert, if we were really cunning, the same exact camera shot that we use For the Vanyar and the Noldor seeing the mountain and approaching it from over the sea, we can use as Frodo's dream in the house of Tom Bombadil in like season 16 or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, uh, So, and I think they should arrive at the mingling of the lights, right? We should show the mingling of the lights. The silver and the gold lights, yeah? Mm-hmm. Nick Pozzo suggests it's likelier to be season 49 when we get to the house of Tom Bombay. Oh, ha, 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 <laughs> Exactly. Please. That
0: sounds optimistic Please. to me.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as if we would... Yeah, mingling of
0: lights. Mingling of lights, good idea. As,
1: as if we would rush that quickly. But anyway, okay, so... Um, right. And this enables us to put the majority of the focus on, uh, on Middle-earth anyway, which is where I think, we would, I think we would want it. Though I would say as well, this episode would be one in which I think we could afford to spend a little bit more time in the Arwen uh, frame if we chose to. But I'm not going to talk about that right now. Instead, um, <laughs> let's talk about Círdan. So Olway and Círdan have set out Alway with the explicit desire to fulfill his brother Elway's goal, right? He wanted to take the Teleri. It was his vision that the Teleri would go to Valinor with the Noldor and the, and the Vanyar. And although they're lagging behind, and although they've lost now two large segments of their population, apart from all the ones they left back at Cuivienen, um, nevertheless he is going to take the remnant, and he is going to go on to he is going to go on to to, to Valinor. Kierden is going along with him. We don't have to give Kierden a very large speaking role there, but uh, um, but he needs to be very clearly present because this episode is going to be his big show. Um, because they arrive at the shore <clears throat> after the Vanyar and the Teleri leave. Or, sorry, Vanyar and the Noldor leave. They arrive at the shore. And now we get the thing with Ase. Um and here's where I want to give credit to another one of our new posters um, uh, because this was, I believe, oh, what was his name again? Ray Burns. Um, I really, uh, Ray, the comments that you were making on the discussion board really crystallized the thing that was already in the back of my head. When I asked the question last time, how do we make Assay and Kierdan's relationship. Like, we know that they become close, right, and that they, you know, they become close friends, and Asse becomes really attached to the Teleri as a whole. Um, how do we do that? Because Asse, frankly, seems kind of antisocial in the way that we've depicted him in Season 1, right? Um, if not antisocial, it's kind of it's, I mean, he's rough and chaotic, right? And he was the one who briefly rebelled and then came back to his allegiance, but um seeing him go all like you know you know soft-eyed and tender-hearted when he sees the elves on the seashore seems a little bit of a departure from his character as we depicted it before
2: maybe they're both really gruff maybe Kierdan's like super gruff and it and he you know really appeals to aosse
1: <laughs> the two of yeah, them maybe
2: tredent's a little bit of a bad boy <laughs>
1: I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think we defined his character, as personality. No.
2: Right? I think we've always... I don't know if you have, but I've always thought sort of Kyrgyz as sort of being this beneficent, you know, calm, sort of yes. Buddha type.
1: Yes. You know? Well, he's so patient, right? I mean, he's the guy who's just like, I'm the one who sits here at the harbor, and I That's just... Right. I'm the ferryman who stands around for like millennia, literally millennia, waiting in case anybody needs a, a boat ride, right? That's my job. That's right. is a, so yes, it does it does get give this idea of serenity, but that doesn't mean that's necessarily his person. It's his job. But that's Especially not, not early personality, on. right? Exactly. Um I'm um uh so they could actually be kind of personally suited for each other. But anyway, back to Ray's comment. What, what, what Ray Burns was saying, um, which really kind of crystallized something that I was thinking, the story of Círdan that I really, really liked that we had talked about before in our, in, our, in our broader planning sessions, I really like the idea of, I will say I'm committed to the idea of Círdan's calling, right? And I remember I had brought this up before of like the, the sort of the balance of fear and desire, and, and then that, that sort of third thing of like that sort of purpose, Or or calling, we were introducing that with Lenway back uh, back in episode uh, three, four. Was that just no? That wasn't just episode. That wasn't last time, was it? Maybe it was. Holy cow! Anyway, um, anyway, one of the last two episodes. Um, No, it was because three is the two is the ambassadors, and three is the is the debate, right? So four is Lenway. Good grief. That was just last time, wasn't it? Anyhow, right, so so we've... we've Seems like it was six months ago. It sure does. So we just introduced that. Um, And so, but but really, the sense of purpose that leads Lenway, after his meeting with Treebeard, um, to decide to stay and to adhere to Middle-earth and to pursue, you know, sort of that sense of purpose and calling that he feels for the elves, very rightly feels for the elves in Middle-earth, is really just kind of a foretaste to the more specific kind of task and purpose that Kierden is given. But see again here I keep mentioning Ray but not <clears throat> actually saying what he said. The connection that uh, Ray made uh, was to Omo and that Ray was precisely what I was kind of kept coming back to when I was thinking about his relationship with Ase. that really it's not a very Ase thing to be like ah oh, Kierden I bestow upon you the purpose of remaining by the shore you are to be the bridge it is your role uh you know, to be the uh you know, to be the the, the the link between the elves of Middle earth and 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 Valinor. I mean, that's not Asse's kind of thing, right? He's not gonna be you know, what does Asse care about other people's long term destiny and and, and stability and, and like you should really settle down and, you know, put down roots in one place for like tens of thousands of years. That's not this does just not really seem like a native osse uh, uh, impulse, really, but it's a very omo thing, right? This whole like ah, uh, this is like it is this this is in keeping with the destiny and you know a, a, of of Middle Earth and what the music of the uh, 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 what the music of the Ainur says and the overall plan of Iluvatar, even if it's not exactly the same thing that the even if it's counter to what the rest of the Valar are saying, right? You know, that's a very Olmo thing. Uh, the, the Valar are calling all of the elves to come over to Valinor. Not all of them are choosing to come, but they're calling them all. Ulmo, for, for Olmo to go against them all and to sneak over to Middle-earth and, say, and choose somebody and say, hey, there's a different task for you. You have a different... T- don't go, right? Don't go over to Valinor. You should stay because it's your job to stay. And if you do, you will fulfill this role in the higher destiny. That's Olmo all over, right? That's totally Ulmo. So, um, but of course that's fine, right? It's fine for Omo to initiate that. So, so Ray's suggestion, which was like, well, of course this solves the whole problem. Of course, Omo sends Ase, right? Um, Ase is his messenger, is his, is his, um, because Ase is his servant, right? Ase is being a good boy now, uh, and working together with Omo instead of working against him. So Ase... So in in the question of what's in it for Ase, you know, in his relationship with Círdan, initially, nothing. He's just a messenger, right? But then maybe he and Círdan do get to be friends after he meets him, right? Um, And he can start... Hmm... He doesn't teach him shipbuilding until after, right? Because if I'm remembering correctly... Uh, the art of shipbuilding is taught to Olway and the other Teleri from the Isle of Tola Eressëa, so that they could sail the rest of the way over to Valinor after the island had been rooted. Um, and therefore, he can't be teaching it to Círdan before the rest of the Teleri leave, or else they'd already know it. So we can't go there. Unless Unless he just teaches it to Kierden,
2: that could that could work, right?
1: What if Kierden is shown, like basically, Kierden, especially if we and and I'm finding attractive, I'm finding attractive the uh, the idea of, you know, I, I, Trish, what you were saying about Kierden being a more kind of rough and tumble character than we mm-hmm. normally think of him, right? To have him and, and say actually, once they meet, be sort of more temperamentally suited to each other, at least in the beginning here of Kierden's career. Um, and therefore... And that,
2: actually, could be, that could also be what separates them eventually, too, is that Kierden mellows out or something. I don't know. you know? In other words, there could be a change in his personality that makes Asse not quite so interested. Because I know there was some conversation about how do we explain Asse not continually being... Although I, there, nothing says he couldn't still be... Uh, his buddy through the ages, I suppose. Yeah. No,
1: I, I think he would be. Why not? Yeah. He could be. Right. Surely. Yeah. Right? Shores of Middle Earth? Sure. I mean, that's what Alse was... That's why Alse was sad about the Teleri going, because when they were... If they were going into Valinor, then Alse would, you know, spend less right. time with them um, than he did. So, okay. No, so... Marie, I, I, Marie is concerned about introducing ocean-going vessels before we, uh, <clears throat> you know, w- when we're still in island transport only mode here, and I agree. You know, we don't. We certainly wouldn't want to have a situation where like Olway and the rest of the Toa are off being shipped across on the island, and there's like, you know, Kieran in his little, you know, in his little schooner, right, sailing circles around the island and waving as they go. Like, obviously, we 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 can't have that. <laughs> but he couldn't still be making a boat, right? Um, that is... Maybe he
2: starts, starts out small.
1: Yeah. Uh, um,
2: like a dory or something. A sailing dory.
1: Yeah. He, he just makes a... Not, nothing that's going to cross the ocean, <clears throat> nor does he want to cross the ocean, nor is that even an issue. Um, he is just going to be sailing upon... Just to, to just be out on the water. I'll say is a coastal guy anyway. Aussie isn't going to encourage him to cross the sea, right? Right. Why would also right. want him to cross the sea? Um, okay. And you're right, Marie. We did have boats in Quiviana, and of course they would make boats at Quiviana. They live in a body of water, and and there's an island out in the middle of it. Like we suggested, That's naturally brutal. they'd have boats. So the boat concept wouldn't be completely new, um, but it would be the first time anybody made a boat on the sea it's I just I have to say I like the idea of cured the shipwright you know kind of getting his name because he's the first one ever to make an ocean-going vessel of any kind um uh Robert Brown is suggesting uh uh that Ossay could pass on to cured in the making of surfboards and I agree Robert I have to admit I had that image in my head right you know like if if Ause, surfers if Ossay is the rough coastal waters Right, is, is in charge of the rough coastal waters and Kieran is, uh, is sort of a rough and adventurous guy and is enjoying hanging out with Ase, I have to admit, like the image of surfing immediately came... That would seem to be the very perfectly natural expression of that relationship, right? Um, I don't think we could do that without satire. Um, it, would, uh, it, would, it would devolve into parody instantly uh if uh if we actually had <laughs> surfing <laughs> however it's it's almost too bad cuz conceptually actually that works really well um but uh yeah no it's too uh too culturally loaded i'm afraid um but um yeah uh anyway so why don't we have Olmo because here's the other thing we've al- we've al- we've already begun we've already suggested um this came up last time um boy last time does feel like 6 months ago this came up last time when we talked about the question of where does that idea that lenway's idea of like the calling and purpose of the elves to be here in middle earth where does that come from and we had talked about the, the the you know lenway and possibly some of the avari as well um having an encounter with Olmo, right, and having these dreams and visions as they as they sleep next to bodies of water. Um, so the idea of Olmo working in Middle-earth, not exactly to undermine the rest of the Valar, but certainly um, in parallel with the rest of the Valar and not always in the same direction, we've already gotten that, and I think getting more of that... Um, is a good thing. I mean, I, I think establishing Olmo as this kind of independent operative and also just sort of this particular way of operating. You know, him coming. So he comes to Assei, he sends Assei to Kirden, and it may not be obvious to either one why, right? Um, he just tells Ase that, you know, there's this guy that he needs him to meet, and then Ase and Kirden meet, and Assei teaches him how to make ships, and he goes out, uh, you know, he goes out on the water, and he. Um, you know, he and Ase just have a wonderful, bang-up time together, and then Omo comes with the second part of the. I, I would be fine actually, just giving Kyrden a dream. I mean, this whole subplot that we were inventing of Kyrden's calling is something we're inventing, anyhow. I mean, it fits in the frame of Kyrden and his, you know, millennial millennia-long dedication to uh, uh, to staying by the shore and. Ferrying elves across—it um, fits it, but of course we have no warrant for it, direct warrant for it in the text. But I think, why not actually give him a direct vision from Olmo? We don't have to depict that vision before. That is when um, um, when we got the vision from uh, uh, the Avari vision that we were talking about before. We don't actually have to show that, right? Um, we can we can just um, have them speak of it, you know, have them speak of, uh, you know, a dream that they had and not really give away where it comes from or what's up with it. And then we can use Círdan basically as the way to reveal that. He can have a dream, and it can be revealed to him in his dream that the the dream comes from Omo. Um, And that can then be, of course, a setup for Turgon and then for tour down the road but both of them and their visions from Omo are far enough in the future that we don't have to worry about just that that trend becoming <laughs> becoming becoming boring
0: i like i like this idea a lot um I, I think this is a device that we should we should expand um you know like we should give a lot more people umo induced visions uh, yeah. Than are they're, then they're even in the book, because yeah. because I I think cause I you know like we should set up future events we should plant we should plant things not just that will happen within a few seasons but even plant um you know allusions to things that happen in Lord of the Rings yes. and the Hobbit and stuff like you know we should we should we should make explicit this sort of you know there, there's kind of this there's this weak. Weak allusion to, to 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 Ulmo in Frodo's dream, but not a lot gets made out of that in the actual yeah, text, right? right? Yeah, that's some. Those are the kinds of things that we should like. We should make hay out of that. We should we should we should build something into should the story. Should we give Ulmo?
2: Now. Should we give Ulmo the opposite vision of a little halfling?
1: <laughs> no, yes. no. Ulmo does not have to have himself a prophetic dream. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. we see him. Waking up, and I'll say an in and they're there. And he's like, "Oh, I just had this weird dream about this little furry guy." So I, I, yeah, but
0: it, it would be it would be cool if um it would be cool if like uh if Tour, had you know like in, in oh, yeah. his in his like jumble of dreams yes. that he sees a bunch yeah. of like stuff that he has no idea what the heck that was. But the but the viewers are like, "Oh crap, that was blah blah Yeah. Oh,
2: and we've got um we've got what's his face dreaming about dragons, right? Um, the other T. God, where'd I go? I just lost his name. Uh,
0: Uh, Turin. (laughs) Yeah. What if he, what if he has a, like a vision?
1: He does. Yeah. He does. When he goes to the sources of Syrian, when he's recovering from his his post-traumatic stress disorder after killing Beleg. Um, he he does he does, and that's made much more explicit in the in the alliterative lay of the children of Húrin and the ways of Beleriand, um, <laughs> uh, like the role that Omo has in the in the healing of Turin there at at, uh, at uh, I almost said Eithel Syrian that's the wrong thing that's the fortress um, at um, uh, at Tarn anyway it's yeah it's it's. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And even think about sort of the vague references that we always get to the power of rivers, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is it? Syrian is real special to Ulma, like, in what sense? Like, how is, how is in what sense is, how does this, like, sort of semi-sacred nature of the river Syrian manifest itself, right? We, mm-hmm. We're going to need to show that at times.
0: We should just make it, anytime anyone comes into contact with water, they have a vision. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and th- yeah, every single time, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Get wet, have vision. That's pretty much the way it works in film, film project. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, th- but but th- think about it. Think about think about um, uh, Khaled Zaram, right? And the vision mm-hmm. that that Durin has, Oh, yeah, That's uh, and right. the significance of Khaled Zaram. Think about the mirror of Galadriel. Um, wh- where do you think that comes from? And the, exactly the kind of visions that are described. Um, that Frodo has in the Mirror of Galadriel are exactly the kinds of visions that Ulmo can bring other people, like, Tur- like Tuor, like as you were describing, um, uh, uh, Dave. I mean, that's that's exactly that's exactly the kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's there's, I mean, you know, clearly we don't want to totally overdo it, but um, but yeah, I, 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 it's one of the things that I think that we need to, that I would like to do, is to show the active um the active presence of Olmo in Middle earth, especially when the uh-huh. others would, you know, sort of seem to be backing off from it. Right. Yeah. Love that idea. And and again the idea as we're thinking, you know, thinking Dave, as you were saying about setting things up, the ideas that we've had before of of the kind of significance that we can give to moments in the Lord of the Rings by
0: mm-hmm.
1: having them echo the stuff that you know we've we've it's it's just this is going to mean more to people <clears throat> uh, once they have had the kind of setup that we're able to uh, to to give to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um. Anyway, cool. Um. So, Cirdan makes his choice. And he chooses to stay, and always like, man, everybody's staying behind, but I'm still going. What the heck, right? So he, so he chooses <laughs> to go. But I would think, by the way, that it would just be a small number of people who would stay with Kierden. I think that most of the... I don't think this is a major sundering. I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly small right. company that stays with with Kierden. Yeah, and then he kind
0: of, kind of picks up more people as time goes on.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there can, there can definitely be, there can definitely be
2: more. But remind me at this point. Kel, uh, Kelborn is with
1: Círdan, right, at this point? Um, or is he off looking Keliborn for is No, he's... he's. We left him at the end of episode four uh, when he stayed with the Doriath folks who were looking for Thingol. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. We, we've already had them split off. So, yeah, the only two so, named elves that are still on the shores here are Olwe and Círdan at this point.
0: Right. Okay. And so, and and so, Kirden stays with a small contingent. Are these just basically all the, uh, the bearded elves who've been ostracized? The
1: bearded elves. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's. We yes. should. We should those the who bearded. enjoy the, those who enjoy water sports and facial hair. Those are the ones that remain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, that's, it's yeah.
0: that's great. These are like the surfer dude the elves. Surfer dude
1: elves. They really Absolutely, set themselves apart. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh... <laughs> Brian says it's a very specific club. Well, right, exactly. They're not that numerous, but uh... there's only like
0: 17 of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, um, they'll make some more recruits later on, but uh, um, yeah. So then always sets out. So we're gonna have to have. Uh, way. Now, keep in mind, we can't just have a one-on-one bromance between Aase and Kieran, uh, or else we're going to have to make a change in the next episode. Because remember, Aase loves the Tileri as a whole, right? right. And uh, it's Aase's love for the um, it's Ause's love for the Tileri that leads him to root the island to the earth and set up Toleracea, right, so that the Teleri don't quite get all the way to Valinor. Um, and, uh, and of course, in the earlier versions, this this is something that changes a lot before the published Silmarillion. In the earliest versions, Ase, it's it's another act of rebellion, like Ulmo sets the island to floating across the water, and then, while his back is turned, Ase mischievously roots it down and... Olmo comes back and finds it rooted and is really mad. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we, um, I, you know, obviously we don't, we don't we don't we don't want to go so far as rebellion, but um, but that element of Ose really really wanting to keep them and not wanting to lose them to Valinor is uh, is is an important element of the thing. Remember, there's another Asse element that we. Um, we haven't mentioned and we should um because something that needs to be associated with the Teleri that we have not yet worked in and that is music they are the Shoreland Pipers that was their original name the Solo Simpi and uh and their music is one of the things that Osse really loves about them um so we have to make sure the Teleri are very musical, and that needs, that should be part of the relationship. But of course, this is an Olmo thing as well, right? Because we have the horns of Olmo, um, which no one can forget once they hear them. Um, and maybe that's how things start with Círdan. Maybe he hears Olmo's horns blowing, Um so, okay, I know Philip isn't here, but Philip, here's 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 the challenge, right? You have the horns of Ulmo. What we need is is a, a music a a song which maybe even Kirtan himself is playing or singing and then the horns of Olmo come in and form not necessarily a counterpoint, but um are the 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 sound of the horns of Ulmo come in and are woven into the song that he is singing. And so his song becomes joined to the song of Omo. Um, I think that, I think that's what needs to happen to Kierden. But I don't know. My biggest problem is I've got, uh, I, I, I've got no action for Olway and the other to like, Yeah. Yeah. There's
0: not a lot, not a lot for them to do as here is there.
1: All the people who leave have <laughs> a, not thing. Really a story. Exactly. Yeah, not right? a, I mean, his story is like, my brother really wanted us to go, and so my brother's gone now, but we're going to go anyway. That's a motivation, but that's not a story. And it's almost like we're at risk of saying the Teleri who go to Valinor are the boring ones. We've weeded out all the non-boring ones, right? (laughs) You know, first we... First, we weed out the ones who are, like, you know, who, who, who want to stay and, and, are, and are rebellious at the beginning. Then we have the tree huggers, right, who stay with the Ents. Then we have the, like, fanatically loyal to Elway, who are willing to brave the wilds in order to try to find him. Then we have the, uh, the surfer dudes, who are called to remain in Middle-earth. Yeah, uh, who are, like,
0: predestined to a special um, destiny. Um, okay, what about... Two things. One, um, suppose we suppose we lay we lay down. A, uh, we we emphasize the friendship between Kierden and Olway. Yeah. So that this seems like a tragic, you know, like a tragic. Uh, you know, the the decision to stay seems tragic. Yes. And is there something we can do? And a real um,
1: sacrifice on both of their yeah. parts. but especially on yeah. Kierden's part. He's giving up something that right. really matters. Yeah.
0: What um what uh and, uh and maybe um huh, i was going to say maybe maybe i was going in a different direction um that i was going to i was going to ask what happens to do we have any idea what happens to alway during the kinslaying? no um but i'm thinking one thing we could do is what if we do something now that Makes the kinslangs even more tragic, <laughs> you know, like yeah, some I kind know. of so. so uh, uh, and sort of another direction of I was going style. that maybe could be combined with this is suppose. What if? What if it isn't simply that Kieran has a special destiny, so he has to stay, and always go, you know, continue on your merry way. We don't need you. But what if? What if um, both of them receive some type of vision? One's told to stay. One's told to go.
1: Ah. And thus enabling us to parallel the two visions of Turgon and and
0: uh, and oh, yeah. later on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: yep. or... um, which, which kind of, which this
0: isn't. Yeah, which this isn't coming out of. This isn't coming. This isn't like it's coming out of left field, right? Like, like a whole lot is made in the later ages about. Um, um, uh, uh, about Aqualande being sort of the first thing that people see in the first place they arrive. So, like, they kind of need to be there. They need to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and also, as bad as it is, the kinslaying is kind of important. Like, they sort of need to be there for that too. Um, so, so I'm wondering... I'm wondering if we give them both visions, one's told to stay, one's told to go. That makes and if they're friends, that makes it sad. It you know, as you say it it's a, uh, parallels um what happens in the future with Turgon and Finrod. Uh but then it also seems really really it seems really sad because it basically looks like they're being set up to get killed. <laughs>
1: Right, and always most likely would. Uh, uh, the script team is all very—they, they're, they're totally out for always blood. I hear they, they're, they're determined to kill him. Um, Great, which I think is awesome. <laughs> I yeah, I totally approve. Hey,
0: yeah, so he should get a the dream way. telling. He should get a dream telling. i like, hey, you should really go.
1: Yeah, that's. Uh,
0: we think that's a good place for you.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly.
0: We need you there.
1: <laughs> A great destiny wise before you. Yeah. Um. This the script team wants Feanor to kill Olwey. Um, uh, in the, oh, the kinslaying, yeah. which go. frankly seems like kind of inevitable, right? I mean, when yeah. Feanor is talking with the Teleri, um, you know, leading up to the to the kinslaying. It doesn't name Olway, right? It doesn't say that he's like face to face with Olway mm-hmm. when when that but who else would he be talking to? I mean, is he just like talking to random wharf elves, right, when he comes in? I mean, I don't think so. I mean you gotta think that Olway's gonna take an interest in this matter. Um but um uh anyway, yeah. Uh, but you're certainly right, Dave. The kin I mean, we should be thinking about the kin because I mean let's face it the Teleri who go to Valinor are important for three things right one is the making of their ships the second is their their you know their their music and the third is they've got to be they've got to be kinslain, right that's that's the other big thing that they have to do um so um uh so yeah yeah I I, I agree I mean I, I can't imagine all way it's in fact, it would almost be like a lessening of Olwey's character if basically we allow the Noldor to steal the ships of the of the Teleri without killing Olway, right? I mean, Olwey lets that happen and and uh, and and you know and lives like eh, that. That seems hard to hard to believe. No, he needs to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Kudo, he does. Kudo, he needs to die. Yeah, yeah. R- Robert has reminded me. Robert is always so good. at checking the text carefully that there is a reference to him speaking to Alway specifically but there's no reference to Alway Robert as i recall in the Kinsling itself any role that Alway directly takes or or but nor is there any reference to Alway afterwards i mean we get when uh you know when the Teleri are refusing to help um, in the war of wrath and then eventually getting talked around to ferrying the army over to Middle-earth for the War of Wrath at the end of the First Age, but not themselves stepping Mm -hmm. foot on Um, Mm Middle-earth. Always not mentioned anywhere in that, either. It's just the Teleri as a whole.
0: Yep, he's dead.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're
0: just going to do him a favor and give him a higher-profile
1: death. (laughs) A higher-profile death, exactly. He deserves that.
0: Um, And we're going to set him up for a tragic destiny instead of just having him be like the nameless dude who went over there and then died.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Right. Yes. Exactly. Um,
0: I like this. This should be. This should be. This should be something we should be striving to do constantly. We should be always trying to tee up future tragedies.
1: Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Is there any way we could ratchet up the tragedy a little bit more here? Uh, could we? Um...
2: <laughs> I, I, I want that as a sound bite.
1: Could we? Could we? Could we break up a marriage or something? Could we, um, I don't know, like have, uh, like, I, I'm thinking like. Where are we at? Are we
2: still, are we still with Cured
1: in? I'm thinking of both what of them. I mean, in, we, I'm, I'm we thinking of both of them. I'm thinking of Cured, Cured in an old way gay. Cured in No, no. Yeah, no they're wasn't, in love. I wasn't going quite that, I wasn't going quite that far. was would be quite That far. Could there O-way be a
2: sundering because of a loved one goes across the sea yeah that's does. what i was
1: thinking i mean what if Ciaran has a wife and she leaves like she goes with olway you know across, you know she she goes with the rest of the talaria across the sea and he, you know i mean maybe his parting from olway is enough uh to you know to i i'm just i'm just i'm thinking. we know that olway needs a wife because he's going to have a daughter cuz she's got to marry finarfin so um you know cuz we, we have to we have to have that that line as well important and her wife could role. be
2: always wife's sister which makes it a difficult decision for her to make does she go with her sister or does she go with
0: it And then I of love course it's she. getting really complex. And then of course she goes over there and gets killed too.
2: <laughs> I'm sure every everybody
0: these, in
1: the chat room is getting all
0: excited about this like don't Every one do of these that. trips. Every one of these tragic partings um, is should be doubly tragic because the person who leaves dies.
1: (laughs) Right now, of course, uh, uh, you know uh, Nick, uh, uh, of course, has been pointing out with elves. Obviously, it's a little bit different. (laughs) Like you know, we're going to kill all the way off, but as Nick says, it'll be okay. You know, in fact, he's not going far. He's just going to Mando's, but. But, of course, we can't, we, we can't allow that to get in the way of our tragedy. And several of you are <clears throat> are teasing us and saying we're being too much like George R.R. R. Martin here. And that is not at all the point. <gasps> I resent that. We're not just <laughs> killing off characters because people like them. No, no. No. Nor are we leading everyone into, like, pointless and miserable suffering just because we can. No, no, no. No. We are... Um... No,
0: we're doing... No, come on, people. We're doing, like... A whole bunch of... These people almost certainly die. <laughs> They're at the, I don't know if you guys have read The Silmarillion recently, but there's this thing called The Kinslay, and the characters <laughs> right. that we're talking about are there.
1: Yep. The point is not, to, is not to invent more tragedy out of whole cloth. The point is to make the most out of the tragedy which is there. And tragedy mm-hmm. is the dominant note of The Silmarillion. I mean we, we mm-hmm. God, I don't think it we is. Yeah. we try to we try to get away from that. We can't sugarcoat that. Yeah. Um.
0: <laughs> By the way, I think we've said this before but we really need to be careful about how we use the halls of Mandos, so as to not trivialize uh, characters. Yes. Yes. Passing away. Well,
1: and I, I, we I think and I
2: think we said we don't really show them, right? We don't really show. We don't show their them. interior. I, yeah,
1: it's a. It's a. And, and and they stay there for long enough that I think we we don't have anybody emerge. I think. Well, I mean, until Gorfindel. I think that's what makes Gorfindel's. I think Gorfindel should be the first alpha that we see back. Basically. Mm-hmm. Right. The first right. elf. To, and, he, he doesn't have to be officially the first elf to emerge. We don't have to make that claim for him, but he's certainly the first elf that we ever see who comes back.
2: Right. And then later, much later, we have Luthien, right, uh, uh, in, in the Halls of Mendos Isn't she making a case for Baron? Yes. I yeah, right.
1: yeah, no, she, she goes there and that'll be the only time we see anything like the inside of those particular right. halls.
2: Um, I mean, we did see, didn't we? Wasn't it Mandos that we said in the beginning we would see, like maybe the foyer that has the tapestries of things to come, kind of thing?
1: Yes, yes, but that's, oh, that's we just uh, we don't. That's, that, as far as we that's go, just we just the foyer, don't... yeah, exactly. It's the it's it's like the guest wing of uh, you know the uh, <laughs> the hospitality suite of uh, of the halls. It's of the thing. part
2: that looks nice. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Exactly. It's like it's like the just visiting part of of jail in Monopoly. Right. You know that. um, Exactly.
2: It's exactly
1: like that. (laughs) Exactly. See, we can show that. But uh, we can't. Yeah, The tourist center, Nick. Exactly. And and no, Maria, we're not inventing people just to kill them off. Or rather, the point is, we're not creating opportunity we're not like going out of our way just to like create the deaths of people we are thinking of people again we're, we're talking about amplifying the impact of the to make tragedy that is there exactly we are trying to, to give more depth to the story as it is not being like you know what this uh what this segment needs somebody to randomly die let's make up somebody and then kill them off brutally That's
0: right. um right uh, well no and, al- yeah. and also you know to be practical we're also trying to solve a a a, a specific problem which is this all way guy's got nothing he's right. got yeah. you know, uh, he's, kind he's of got no story yes so we're trying to we're trying to trying to fill out his story, but it's sort of when you look at kind of what what the options are he doesn't there isn't a whole like what kind of heroic uh uh or redemptive art can we give him nothing he seems right. destined for one
1: thing right, <laughs> right. exactly exactly yep. Yeah, yeah. And no, Marie, you're absolutely right. Um, Yeah, it's not that we kill off a character as soon as their role is fulfilled. Um, No, only the tragic, only ones who are only, I mean, and always role is like tragedy, right? I mean, the death of Olway is going to be one of the, one of the things that really, uh, you know, that really brings home the horror of the kinslaying, I think. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Most of them are going to, okay, I was going to say most of them are going to survive. That's perhaps way too rash to say in the Silmarillion adaptation. Uh, Most of them are eventually going to die. Um, but not all of them, not all of them. We'll leave all of them alive that we can. Um, you know, if it's convenient and everything. Um, it's all, it's all good. It's all good. And yes, Tony, it does make the Noldor's... Uh, make Thingol's Wrath with old Noldor more, more personal, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, um, he, can, he can learn about the death of his brother, and yeah. that will help to solidify that. Exactly, exactly Robert. We're, we're not going to kill Maglor. <clears throat> Maglor will be among the several characters that we don't end up eventually killing off. But again, like, we have to kill off everybody Tolkien killed off, which is a fairly long role in the, in the Silmarillion, you know, we'll, we'll have them. Um, but, but yes, we'll have several survivors. Maglor will survive. Kelleborn will survive. Uh, 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 Cureden will survive. Treebeard will survive. No problems. Galadriel, yeah. See, look at that. Survivors all over the place. Um, it's really not that bad. No, no, it'll be fine. Um, okay, so... But I wanna I wanna I wanna clarify the one last thing here then. I wanna clarify a little bit more what always always calling would be to be and what he Okay, two options. Option number one in a sense, being there in order to die is his calling. Like his role, his destiny is to be killed at Aqualande. And there is some vague sense in which Olway gets that. And so that therefore his going. Or, or, he's given this task and the death of Alway thwarts it. There's this sense of like, Olway had this thing that he could have accomplished. He had this big role that he was supposed to play. And therefore, it's triple tragic when Fëanor kills him. Hmm. That whatever was the shining destiny that Olmo had in mind for Olway is now not going to happen. There's precedent for that. Um, I I, I mean, even just think of the times when Olmo has, like, really, really good plans that people don't comply with, right? Um, uh, Like his particularly good advice to Turin and uh, and Orodreth and Nargothrond, his even better advice to Turgon, but more than advice to Turgon. I mean, the context of the Turgon story in particular is, you know, he has this shining plan of, of like, Turgon's role in defeating Morgoth. Like, Turgon is going to be the one... Again, this is not in the published Silmarillion. This is in the earlier versions of it, but, but the original Turgon story was that he was the one who was going to be empowered through Ulmo uh, to defeat Morgoth and to bring about the salvation of the elves and men of Middle-earth. Um... But that plan is thwarted, thwarted by Torgon's own choice, but it's thwarted. Um, so we could have this uh, or maybe maybe like the alternatives are put before him. Right. Like your story is going to end in one of two ways. It's going to end. Mm. It's going to end, you know, in triumph or it's going to end in death. And then he chooses to go forward anyway, not knowing which of the two happens. We could go that angle.
0: Uh, yeah, maybe we can have our cake and eat it too. Because <clears throat> I see the the possibilities with both. It, it does make it makes it more tragic now in the immediate at uh, this immediate point in the story. <laughs> if he's just told like, yeah, you're gonna go over there and meet a sticky end, uh, but you got to do it. Right. Uh, and then he heroically Take decides to do team, it for the team,
1: buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Right. but but it also but sort of, you know, in terms of plant and payoff for later, it's more um, uh, it's more it's also more interesting if uh, it, it, yeah, if he has some job to do and it's then thwarted or, or something um, but yeah, maybe but maybe we can leave it open-ended, like we can ominously hint at a possible bad ending, but also something great that can be achieved yes. uh, and, and, he's, and what he elects to do is is to, you know, he makes the brave choice to risk, um, you know, to take the risk. And maybe, maybe we can also hint that, like, or you can stay here and you'll be fine. Right. And he decides he decides to, 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 to um, he does the brave thing. He says, I'm going to take the risk and go try to achieve the great thing. Um, and then maybe at some point down the road, we can kind of, we can sort of, we can obliquely hint at the fact that, in fact, both things came true. A great thing was achieved, but he also died.
1: Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like that. So the question is. Oh, and by the way, I wanted to give a, a, a quick nod. Brian Fatterini is excited about Olmo uh, um, being the possibility of Olmo being wrong. Um, Brian says he definitely doesn't want Olmo to look like the smartest guy in the room. He has a different perspective from Manway and does good, but he doesn't always know better than the rest of the Valar. I agree, Brian. We don't want him to look like the uber Valar, right? All the rest of the Valar are clueless and dumb, and I'm the only one who has a decent plan of what's going on, and I know all the future. Yes, we don't want Olmo to look like that. Um, he can be wrong. And, his, and it can be, like, basically from the, from the point of view of the people to whom he's giving dreams... Right, it can seem like this is my destiny. From the point of view of the Valar, it's is like this is almost plan, right? But his plans don't always pan out. His plans are his plans are often thwarted by the choices of the of the of the you know the incarnate folks involved, um, and uh, and sometimes they're just they they're, they're not. He doesn't have in fact the full correct picture. Um, so mm-hmm. it would be interesting to kind of uh, to kind of keep that. Keep that, um, keep that going in. Um, okay, but anyway. So then, so, so then, my last question: What exactly is always destiny? What is almost plan? What exactly? The,
0: non, the non-death version, you mean? The made? non-death
1: version. What is the what is the great end that might have been achieved, but which will be ultimately thwarted? By the kinslaying, By Theonor's transgression. Oh, yeah. oh, <gasps> Wait. 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 Okay. I've got it. I've got it. Okay, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Okay. Cirdan and Olwe. Right? It's all about the pairing. Cirdan <laughs> is... True. The thing that Olmo wants is he wants to both, he doesn't just want to keep the elves in Middle-earth, but he is, he is, we know he is anti-elves shipping off to Valinor. Like, he doesn't want them all to leave Middle-earth and just go off to Valinor. He thinks that they should stay. But he also, he doesn't want them to be cut off from each other, right? He is, when you know, the rest of the Valor decide that they want to go and he convinces some of them to stay, he doesn't just want to split up the population. He doesn't just want to have Middle-earth elves cut off from, uh, from the Valinorian elves. Círdan his job is to stay on the shores of Middle-earth and to keep open that pathway for them to get to Valinor. Maybe Olway's role is the other way around. Maybe he's the one whose destiny is to lead the elves of Valinor to return to Middle-earth and to enable them to return to Middle-earth. And that's what gets thwarted by Feanor. When Fanor kills them, and it's ironic, of course, because it happens in the return of the. No- but of course, the rebellion of the Noldor and their desire to, to return to Middle Earth <clears throat> is not what Olmo was picturing when he was picturing the whole elves can return to Middle Earth thing, right? Um, and it's also borne out. Um, we have the parallel to what, of course, the Teleri actually do. They are the ones who bring, who physically bring. The elves of Valinor back to Middle-earth for the War of Wrath. But they themselves don't fulfill always destiny, always other destiny, the non-fulfilled destiny, because they don't come back themselves. They stay on board the ships. But had always been there, um, there would have been perhaps like, had Curedon is doing his job, had always survived and been enabled to do his job, um, Omo's vision is for like actual two-way travel possible between uh-huh. Numenor, Numenor, between Valinor and Middle-earth, right? And so uh-huh. the fact that the elves of of Valinor are like cut off and the trip to the West becomes a one-way ticket, that's, a con- that's the consequence of always death. Huh? I like it. Right. Exactly, Marie. Always supposed to build the ships. He, he's supposed to build the ships to enable the elves to go back, and then Feanor steals his fleet in order to come back, right? So exactly, you've got like the whole tragic irony thing going on there, right? And it's because it's like fulfilling the destiny, but it's like this warped, twisted evil version of the fulfilling of the destiny, right? So when Feanor kills Olwe, he doesn't just thwart the destiny of Olwe, it's like he takes over and perverts the destiny of Olwe, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. That works. I do too. That's really cool. Um, yeah. And then the burning of the ships, Robert. Exactly. Exactly. And so then you think, like, and again, and that's, it's it's like, that's, that. Yes. Yes. The way that the rest of the Noldor, that like Fingolfin and, 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 and the folks are stranded back when the ships are burnt is like itself a, a sort of, a, it's it's like a, a synecdoche of like the elves of Valinor as a whole now cut off mm-hmm. from Middle-earth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right. That's, that, that's, 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 that's fantastic. Yes. Maria, as you say, setting up and preparing for future events in a good and tragic way. Yes. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Whoo, That was really cool. Hey, Alway has a story. Oh, this is fantastic! I'm so happy that always has a story. I mean, I'm sorry it has we were to be a story just about tragic- what we
0: could possibly do.
1: Yeah, exactly. I know. I mean, sure, his story ends in his untragic and untimely death, but that's okay. He's got a story, and that's that's really that's really good. That's really. And cool.
0: now, and now, have we uh, have we run up against our uh, time limit?
1: Our 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 the time of it or being late for being late yes we are now officially come to the time where we are late for being late and we (laughs) messed stuff. um but that's great that's very good I like it um uh so good thing we saved
0: Elway good thing we saved Elway emerging for episode 6
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I was toying with the idea of Elway emerging in this episode, but no, he should go after. So Elway takes <laughs> off. So so we're ending right. So that that we're we're ending the episode with always departure, right? Uh, you know, so he and Ciaran mm-hmm. are basically you know they, they 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 both embark upon their destinies, right? way to head off into the west, Ciaran to stay, um, and um, and then so we see them, the Tillary Elway, and the rest of the Tulare, uh merrily you know uh you know in like full orchestral concert there on the island as it as it floats across the sea um and there's Kieran standing by the sh- by the, uh, you know on the shore on the beach uh uh with his wetsuit and surfboard and right afterwards we're gonna have elway emerging but not in this episode so uh, elway will come single, out and be found
2: single teardrop coming down Kieran's cheek right? that's right
1: yes exactly um uh okay so good and um and then, um, okay. So next time, questions for next time. Uh, you'll notice we didn't talk about the Arwin frame at all today, which was okay. That was by design, but we need to come back to that. Also, I will say, um, although you guys rose uh, magnificently to my challenge in talking about uh, uh, the subplots of the bad guys. There was not much discussion of the frame elements, so I want to reissue that uh, suggestion. Let's, talk, let's, let's get some frame discussion happening, and we can talk about that next time and work that in. Um, my biggest question with Episode 6 is, again, what, again what's going to happen? We need a story again, because what what, the, the, what Episode 6 is meant to cover is the rooting of the island, right? So the 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 transportation island needs to become Tol Areseah. Um, and then some more time passes and then they decide to set out and they're taught shipbuilding and they make the Swan ships and they set out from Alqualondë or from, from Tol Arisea, and they get to Alquilonde and arrive and everyone's like, Hooray, you finally made it. Right. That's the that's the and so therefore we, we are all there in Valinor and we're ready to begin the We're ready to begin the the Valinorian segment of, you know, Mm -hmm. the Valinorian half of season two. Um, But there's not a lot of action in what I just described, right? Um, uh, They settle down and wait for a long time before they eventually keep going by boat is not really a very gripping narrative, uh, for this arc. So what do we have happening? There are some other things that we can bring in, right? We can bring in um, Elway emerging from his trance and, 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 hang, and meeting up with the rest of the you know, the Sindar that we're waiting behind and looking for him.
0: But we need a uh, Valinorian story. One,
1: I'm thinking we do, yeah. I think it's time for us to start a Valinorian story, um, which of course we do. So could we... Do we want to start, for instance, do we want to go with Finway's marriage?
0: I was about to say, what about uh, diving into Finway's family?
1: We could start the Finway story, maybe even the birth of Feanor. He can grow that. That would enable us to have, like, child prodigy Feanor in the next episode, right? With some time passing, we could have, we could have baby. Fe- we could even have baby Feanor and the death of Finway's first wife in this episode mm-hmm. if we wanted to. Mm. Oh, that would be it. That would be a great story, actually. Think about that if we wanted to do that, and think about how that would be connected. Could it, can we th- thematically tie the Finway's first wife incident with the Tol Arisea stuff? Anyway, so that's that's a thing to think about. What so um, d- 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 that do we want to do that? Do we want to do other Valinorian plots? How do we want to handle that stuff? Um, and then my last question is a really vague one, but conceptually, what do we want to do with Tol Arisea? The island. Um, Tol Arisea is a big deal in Tolkien's mythology. I mean, this Uh island is a big, big deal. But what kind of significance should it have at this point? The biggest Uh significance of Tol Arisea comes after the First Age. Originally, in the Book of Lost Tales, it's the island that the elves are exiled to, because in the, in the Book of Lost Tales, when the elves of Valinor go back to Middle-earth for the War of Wrath to set free, you know, to, to, to help out the Noldor and the men that are in Middle-earth, they do so explicitly against the orders of the—it's a rebellion— it's a second rebellion, and they do so against, and they're punished for it, and they're not allowed back right. into Valinor afterwards. And that's where they end up. So Tolerasea is elven home, but it's like elven home away from home. It's like the the home that they end up in because they left Valinor behind. So there's a kind of tragic loss element involved with Tolerasea in the original yeah. version. Now, that, that dies away so that, the you know, by the time we get to... By the time we get to nineteen thirty-seven, by the time we get to the Quentin Silmarillion in the Lost Road that we re- we just discussed in the Mythgard Academy class, uh, you know the, the the Valar are like totally on board with you know we get the Arandil A. message and and the Valar making the choice to to send folks over and it's all good, um, but um, but we don't and and remember, Tol Eressea. In. One of the earliest versions, Tol Arisea becomes the island of England in Tolkien's mm-hmm. mythology. It's like how this is the mythology of of England. It's it's like how the island of England was formed. So again, the significance of Tol Arisea in Tolkien's imagination and in his initial mythology is absolutely just enormous. Um, what of that do we want to convey? How do we want to convey it? What do we? I mean, this is our when, when that island is rooted we have the initial establishment of this thing, which is going to play a big role moving forward. <laughs> what role is that going to be, and how are we going to set that up? What is the relationship between Old Way and his people and the Isle of Tolerasea going to be like? How is that going to work out? Um, how do we do this? So, as I said, I know it's kind of a vague question, but, like, what's up with Tolerasea, and, and what do we want to do with it, is is, is my question here, because... You know, certainly Tolkien's own mind changed very significantly over time, and so we see lots of different possible models of what we might want to do with Tol So, um, and I think it's really relevant to this coming episode. It's a hard one, I know, Brian. That is a really hard question, but but we'll 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 think about that for next time, and think about it in the context of those other things happening in the episode. See if we can make this episode all kind of tie together. That's it. That's all you guys have to do for next time. So that should be easy.
0: Shouldn't be much. Yeah. so Should be fine.
1: Exactly. It'll be, it'll be cool. Have a fun two weeks uh, uh, doing all that stuff, everybody. By the time, uh, so two weeks from now, when next we meet, um, we will be... Uh, it'll be, we'll be official fun. Yes. Yeah, it'll yeah, it'll be, be fun. we will just have kicked off, so that'll be cool. And uh, uh, so I I will have many more updates for you next time about exactly what is happening and when. And of course, watch, we will be sending out some emails and we'll be uh, posting things on our website. And I'm going to have a live session on on Bilbo's, on the evening of Bilbo's birthday to sort of announce what we're going to be doing and all that kind of thing. So, um, So watch out for those things as well, our social media, all that kind of stuff. So thanks a lot, everybody. And I will say thanks for listening and Godspeed.